he doesn't understand. There's a curse upon me. I change into a wolf. Listen to me, Frank. I saw my father become obsessed by his power. He died a horrible death. There's no need for us all to storm after her. She'll come in if I ask her. Why should we treat her so fancy? She's a Frankenstein. The Bloody Pit. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Joy Gwynn. And we are here tonight to dive full steam back into a little costume drama mm-hmm. that I'll, I'll admit is a little dull. A little drawing room, drawing room, uh, <laughs> drawing mystery. Room. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I mean, it's it's what we would call a slow burn. Yes, uh, yes. No, no, no. It's not a slow burn. This no, is, no. my friends, we're finally getting to one of my favorite universal horror films of the 1940s, Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. Now, um... We're going to dive headlong into that discussion here here in a little while, but right now we just wanted to let everyone know that uh, this don't don't be disheartened as like the next film we cover in this series is going to be yet another Sherlock Holmes film. We uh, we know we know it's weird. We know we've been Sherlock Holmes heavy, and we're gonna we're gonna be Sherlock Holmes heavy in this particular thread of shows for a very long time to come. And for that, I don't want to I don't want to say I apologize, but your understanding is 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 needed because mm-hmm. those of you who are waiting for films like this the one we're covering tonight mm-hmm. yes we could shorten this list up but i i threaten you with this mm-hmm. there are lists of universal horror movies that are longer than this yeah, yeah that we could be using and so you just you should be nice but we want to live to see the end of it <laughs> yes yes so. we do long before i have my eventual stroke and or <laughs> screaming fit that ends in a heart spasm i would like to get through the 1940s universal horror films well, I'll have this to, podcast. Say, all I have to do is mention, you know, Michael Bay to you to get that. You know, you know I, I, I've softened over the years. I no longer want to see him slowly chainsaw it to death. Oh, okay. I, you I, want I'm it to st- be a quick, I, quick killing? No, no. Slower, uh, heavyweight, smothering, okay. uh, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Something where. <laughs> well, that's the that's the thing. I have to I have to admit that um, I thought I thought I was mellowing in my old age, and I think I have to a degree. But I I am to the point here lately where. It, it you, li- you live long enough to see a trend that just dis- makes you despair. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I really am depressed by here lately, although obviously not depressed enough to, uh, I don't know, change anything else in my life, but I am depressed by the fact that it is completely typical these days. Brand new horror film comes out. Half the people go, it's the worst film I've ever seen. It's shit. And half the and, and and the other half go. Well, actually, I enjoyed it. That was that was that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that film. And it's as if, gee, what film could you be talking about? Oh no, no, I, just I could be talking about three different movies right now. Okay, seriously. Mm. I mean, read any online discussion of Candyman. 
Oh, right. I forgot about read, yeah. yeah. Read right. any Halloween on, Kills, yeah. Halloween Kills uh-huh. or Malignant. And uh-huh. it's just one of those things where it's like, I despair that people... I mean, first of all, if you have ever typed the phrase... It's the worst movie I've ever seen oh, yeah. about a movie that just came out. <laughs> I'm going to assume that you're an idiot and or have only seen five movies in your life. Well, Cecilia said this is my favorite film of all time. You know, when you've seen, you know, some film you just saw. Yeah, you yeah, just it's saw. The best film yeah. ever made or so whatever. Yeah, the yeah, genius, yeah. yeah. I understand the hyperbolic thing of, wow, this is one of the best movies I've seen this mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Or this is, you the know. The excitement of wanting to spread the word and get out yeah. and tell people, you know, you know, got to see this or I stay away that. from it or whatever. Yeah, yeah but. The, the number of people, let's put it this way, the number of people saying, it's the worst, it's the worst movie I've ever seen, immediately, immediately tells me way more about mm. you, the one who <laughs> typed or said right. that, than it does about the film you're critiquing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. please keep that in mind. But then again, I well, doubt anyone suspect that behind is, that is the need to trying to uh, get under the skin points. of the people, or the people that because they see the people out there yeah. raving about it, and so then they want they, they want to undercut it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, but. It, it's it's point scoring. It's, it's and in some way prove that they're the bigger horror fan or the more demanding horror fan. Or the yeah, more, yeah, or the, know, smarter, the smarter, the smarter, yeah. more discerning, whatever yeah, it is. I was not you know. fooled. Like I was not fooled by you, idiots. <laughs> I can see how how much this is just complete tripe. This is yeah. obvious garbage. And it's like, yeah, you know what. I enjoyed it, so go to hell. <laughs> you know, if you didn't enjoy it, that's fine. We can yeah. discuss why you didn't uh, enjoy it, but that's right. not what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're essentially saying it's the worst movie you've ever seen. You've ever seen, which yeah. to me says, "Oh, you don't think at all." Mm-hmm. Okay, well that's that's fine. That's good. If you don't think at all, yeah, coolness. Roll with that and move on. But I, I find myself occasionally getting caught up and responding to morons like that. But actually, what I've really enjoyed the past couple of days anyway is just watching. Just watching people engulf themselves in these incredibly long online comment threads where they start insulting each other. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm being really entertained by this now. <laughs> I'm just really enjoying watching these people rip into each other. And, I, and all I did was post a review of a particular movie and go, you know, I really enjoyed this, and here's why I enjoyed it, and here's why I was surprised by it, and here's why I didn't expect this out of the other. And yeah. Here's why I think it's clever. Here's why I think it was interesting. And, and just watching people explode. <laughs> it's just like, okay, yeah. cool. Good for you. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you're right. It could be... It, it's especially bad in the horror industry, of course. Any any horror... In horror mm. fandom, it's just always, 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 there's a complaint. Yeah. And by God, if no one else has made it, or if a hundred people have made it, I'm going to make it too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good for you, folks. I yeah, don't right. care. God, I did. I did find it amusing. Uh, Dominique Lamsey's uh, pointed pointed out to me. She said, "She said there are when I, when I see people lambasting a new horror mm-hmm. movie, essentially that just tells her depending on how how they're how they're commenting, that means that's something I need to say." Uh, yeah, I was gonna say that. I know that feeling too. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's <laughs> like, like oh, if you hate it this much, this is probably something this is, I need to check out. Exactly. It's, not, like, yeah. it's like but, well, and I'll, and, I, and I'll be honest, that same kind of thinking. Reminds me always of the uh, the incredibly ripping review that the the old Leonard Malton TV guide TV movie guide that 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 thing that was the Bible yeah. was near the TV for my yeah. entire youth. Yeah. The thing that made me know that I needed to see certain movies was that 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 they were like given like the lowest rating, and like the comments on them were so incredibly derisive. Right? It's like it's like why did I seek out the movie The Brood? Because they called it one of the one of the worst things he'd ever seen. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is the guy who made Scanners. Yeah. It's like yeah. I, and and Videodrome. I got to see this. Yeah. 
<laughs> where where's where is that? Where's that in the video the video shop? I gotta yeah. see this movie here. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Raga ra- horror movie. Mm-hmm. Gar- guarantee that I am going to see it. Yeah. And 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 that's what's uh, that's what's so weird. It's like this this uh, this particular past. Well, not I didn't. We didn't see it in October. We watched them in September. But those three Fear Street movies that premiered on HBO. I just watched the first one uh, uh, this week. Looking forward to seeing the next two. Yeah, actually, I think the first one. Although it, it has a lot of work to do because it's doing a lot of setup, right, I think right. the, I think the second and third are even better. I'm looking forward to them. Yeah. I really enjoyed that first one. I was like, yeah, I'm totally down for watching these and watching the they whole series. They were a series, load man. of yeah, fun, yeah, and it was a, yeah. it was a buddy of mine. Great cast for, and yeah, yeah. great people in them. Yeah, it was a buddy of mine uh, making comments about it online that convinced me that I wanted to see it because I was I was on the fence. Yeah, same. But uh, he chimed in and he says, "Wow, this is." Mm-hmm. I mean, he's don't get me wrong. He lives in Ireland, but he's he he said, "Wow, this is." This is what I live for. This is just amazing. I can't believe this got made in this day and age. But what I found, I mean, I really enjoyed the films, and so did Beth. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, one of the things that shocked me was that originally these movies were coming out in 2020, mm-hmm. all three of them, and they were going to have this release schedule where they put the first one out, and then like six weeks later or two months later or something like that, they were going to put the second out and then do the third the same way. And so by the time they got to the third one, they could have like an entire like night where you just watched all three back to back or something yeah, like that. right. And I thought, oh wow, that would have been an incredible distribution movie yeah, distribution that experiment. Cool. That I mean, what a, what a great idea! But it, yeah, COVID, you know, COVID that's another thing that COVID me. shot in the head. So sure. yeah, yeah, real shame there. But I was glad to watch them on on Netflix. Regardless, it's like they've got to get you know they at, at a certain point you, you kind of got you kind of got to give up on that. And it's Same. like okay, we'll just yeah. go to streaming, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I mean, Agreed. I really ended up enjoying those as well. Yeah, so cool. But all right, um, yes. So, oh, what, what you got? Um, yes, well, I can just mention real quick here because I do think it fits in with the theme of what we're doing tonight, which is Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. As you probably we've not said that, but yes, this I, is. I a, think I think, I've I said think it. we got that. Maybe you did. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but uh, uh, yes, yeah, so I just wanted to mention, uh, and I'm probably I may be way behind the curve on this, but I saw a film that I was not aware of, but I think it kind of fits with this '40s theme we're talking about. It was uh, called uh, Cry of the Werewolf. Oh yeah. From 1944. Yep. I actually taped it last year off TCM and only just got around, you know, last October, the show on TCM, only just got around to watching it this October. And uh, didn't, you know, because I just saw like, well, werewolf movie from 44. I've never heard of this, you know, and I taped it. So watched it and really enjoyed it a lot. I mean, it's... It's um, it's a good little chiller. It is. It's it's kind of almost a, kind of feels like a, I think Columbia put it out and it's kind of a strange mix of a universal meets uh, like the Val Luton films or something. And yep. it's got that... It, I think the I think the final act is 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 where it kind of gets a little weaker because it it introduces like four bumbling cop characters that really yeah, kind of yeah, bog yeah, things down yeah. a little bit, you know, with the comic relief doesn't really work in that, you know. And also the other problem I have with it is that I think the the lead actor is a bit on the wooden side, you know. He only he only made like three films anyway in his filmography, and I just don't think he's 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 handsome enough and and but he's just kind of a bland character just not much of an actor whereas the female leads i think are really good in it and a lot of the supporting characters are good in it but i just remember having a lot of great a- atmosphere yeah and what's cool is that obviously you know if it, it was probably you know no doubt inspired by the success of the wolfman but what i liked about it is they don't uh because this is still early in the wolfman mythology and so kurt seldmack's 
tropes had not become like commonplace in the Car- whole they had, they had become carved in stone. Exactly. Yeah. So they were really trying to do something different with their take on the werewolf. And yeah. it and it has just some really yeah, some real atmospheric and creepy kind of scenes. So it was just a nice kind of discovery, you know, it was kind of fun to watch. But I thought, well yeah, this fits with the forties. I just wanted to clue people in. Might want to go seek that one out. It's it's a it's a thing film. I'm not positive, but I think that one may be available on Blu ray. Maybe I, I I'll be honest, I'll I'll check and and uh, and uh, let people know one way or the other. But yeah, it's a it's a, it's a good little chiller. I mean, it's not to, it's not the greatest movie no, in the world, no. but it's also but it is if you mm-hmm. if you like this kind of movie, it is certainly right up our, right up your alley. Yeah, true. All right, well, folks, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, dive headlong into uh, Frankenstein Wolf's the Meat Man. No, 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 no. Frankenstein meets the Wolf Man. You know, I'm actually I, I had to get that out there. I'm not yeah. the biggest fan of that joke. Yeah. And every t- every time I read Kurt Siadamak. <laughs> Yes, writing that, uh, writing that like, as yeah, a joke. Yeah, I Kurt, just like, it was, it Kurt, was mildly amusing the first time you said yeah, it, and yeah. you know, and after you're known for a number of things, but yeah. your humor ain't one of them. So, <laughs> right, back in a moment, folks. Hi, I'm Ben from the Diecast Movie Review Podcast, which is done by myself, my sister, and my father, where the genre of the movie is decided by the cast of a die. The categories are horror, drama, comedy, action, sci-fi, and fantasy, animation, and musical. Also, on occasion, we'll have a special episode dedicated to conversations with creators, directors, actors involved in the production of movies. Join us and see what movie we pick next. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror film. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and one of the creators of the original chill role-playing game. This book recreates the thrills of the classic monster versus monster film. We've got vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, scheming madmen, and plenty of unexpected chills. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors in print or for Kindle at Amazon.com and other fine retailers. Coming soon in other ebook formats. Find out more at CushingHorrors.com or SDSullivan.com and support Steve's work through Patreon at PaySteve.com. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again. And remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, released March 5th, 1943, 72 luscious minutes yes. in length. Uh, directed by Roy William Neal, who, of course, uh, was uh, mm-hmm. also producing and directing the uh, Sherlock Holmes movies here. Yep. He'd, 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 had, he'd uh, done his first one and was uh, well on his way to making his second one of those. Uh, this is a direct sequel. To two separate films. It's a direct sequel to The Wolfman from 1941, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, therefore the second Wolfman movie, and it is a direct sequel to The Ghost of Frankenstein, mm-hmm. making it the fifth Frankenstein movie. Yep. Which uh, is kind of crazy when you think yep. about it. <laughs> yeah. Now, to meld these two, I guess, monster threads together, mm-hmm. they, they essentially had to do a little flubbing. Just a bit. <laughs> Just a little, because <laughs> let's remember... The Wolfman took place in contemporary times. Yeah. With cars mm-hmm. and, you know, easy sea voyages between North America and yeah. Britain. <laughs> and the Frankenstein movie seemed to take place in a slightly older time period. But what we have here, once again, folks, yes. is something that we've talked about a lot, which is 
that 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 weird thing Universal had. Universal Land, yes. yeah, yeah. Where all is, is like there's this long period of time of just decades and decades that just seem to kind of coexist and rub them against each other <laughs> yeah. at all times, and mm-hmm. it's it's best to not think too hard about it. And the beauty of it is, is most of us saw these movies in the in the frame of mind that allows us to not think about yeah. that at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, never no, you never blinked on it when you were a kid. No, watching no, no. And, well, and, and I'll be I'll be honest, I didn't come to this movie until I was uh, I was not a kid. I was uh, mm-hmm. my teenage years. Mm-hmm. And it never, I it mm. never occurred to me that you mm. know I I know I saw it in pretty close conjunction with the Wolfman at the very least, mm-hmm. and it still didn't it didn't, didn't occur to me to go hey wait a minute <laughs> wait just a damn minute here yeah what do we no it never did <laughs> it also well there's a lot of things that <laughs> there's a lot of things there's a lot of nits to pick about this film oh sure and I'm sure that we will pick a few of them yeah but let's just state at the outset that. I absolutely love this movie, I, I and I know too. you do too. I, I do too. I mean, this film. We'll talk about how this is, how important this film is in so many ways to you and me and and people like us. You and me in particular for podcasting. We'll get into that too. But uh, yeah, <laughs> we, we can say right at the front here, folks, is without this film, we might not be podcasting, and we'll explain why. This is true. Why, this you know, is very, and, very true. And y'all, so you can take that as a good or bad thing, however you feel. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, I, of course, have once again gone completely overboard. I have uh, three different books splayed out in different different forms here that I've been making notes from and, and, and thinking about how I'm going to string together our podcast here tonight. And I just wanted to I wanted to go ahead and, and uh, start off with a, a couple of quotes from the that 19 that I mean, the 40s Universal Monsters book, a critical commentary. The chapter on this film was written by uh, John T. Soyster. Who I have to admit, I think is a little—he's a little too snarky at times. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, he—he is—he he does love the movie. I mean, mm-hmm. There's no way right. around it. Right. But uh, the some of it, some of his uh, his commentary, I find to be absolutely uh, essential in kind of formatting up some of the ideas that I've had in the past. But also, he's—he's he's very good at pinpointing specific things. He even pinpointed a couple of things in this book that. Had not really occurred to me. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. wait, just uh, be because some of them are obvious and some of them are in, along the lines of, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a way homer. You don't right. think about it until like two hours after you saw it. Hey, wait, uh, what? Mm. But this is this is something he wrote in uh, this particular book. He says, uh, "This is the most maddening of all the films in Universal's classic series, as it contains snippets of great writing, moments of poignancy, bits and pieces of marvelous performances." and flashes of wit and creativity, all floating haphazardly upon a vast, inert sea of the same old dreck. Now, I disagree. Yeah, yeah. I disagree. I see what he's saying. Yeah. That, to a large degree, the film feels like the parts are sometimes better than the whole when you mm-hmm. piece it all together. You can, definitely, you can definitely subdivide it into, that's a good thing, that's a bad thing, that's a good thing, that's a bad thing, if you want to. He says, I know as many people who heap praise on Frankenstein meets the Wolfman as I do folks who find it meh. This apparently is the sort of film that inspires at least some type of guttural reaction. And this is true. Mm-hmm. This was the first, all praise be, of the monster Monster rally. mash, monster rallies, yes. And if you find this film meh, heaven help you when we get to House of Frankenstein and House of Dracula. <laughs> right. Because you ain't going to be having no fun at all. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think this is an amazing film and I think we should probably before we, we go too deeply into it because I do want to go through the, the plot pretty in a, in a pretty detailed fashion I feel that I'm probably going to 
going to side road myself into a ditch more times mm-hmm. than I than I want to. But let's talk about the cast really quickly. Yes. Of course, we we have Lon Chaney Jr. back playing his mm-hmm. signature role of uh, Larry Talbot, the Wolfman. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, originally, the idea was to find some way to have. Lon Chaney Jr. played both the Wolfman and the Frankenstein monster because, of course, he had played the Frankenstein monster Mm -hmm. in The Ghost of Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so there had been talk, there were ideas tossed around about, you know, we Mm -hmm. can do this with split screens and, Mm -hmm. you know, with with the body doubles so that, you know, we'll be looking over one shoulder yeah. while the other talks, and this and the other. Just like they, they finally scrapped that. Idea. Well, you know, Cheney was just been going like, "Oh yeah, I'd, I'd love to go into the makeup twice for two different monsters because I just love working with Jack Pierce and I love being in the makeup chair." <laughs> yeah, for those of you who are unaware, uh, Jack Pierce and Lon Cheney Jr. got uh, got along about as well as oil and water as the monster and the Wolfman. <laughs> oh, well, hey, good point. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't thought about it that one. Yeah. <laughs> But they do not. Uh, they, they they did not have a uh, a copacetic re- relationship. Unlike say uh, Boris Karloff and Jack Pierce, yeah. who were great friends. Yeah. But uh, different personalities breed different relationships, mm-hmm. and in this case, they didn't get along. And so, there's more than a few stories where Jack Pierce was very obviously going out of his way to prolong the agony of putting <laughs> putting the werewolf makeup on Lon Chaney oh, yeah. Jr. Yeah. Just for the sheer hell of it, because. They didn't like each other. Yeah. Oh, and this film gave him even, he got to be even more sadistic because it's the first, it put Chaney in the most dissolved, tran, you know, oh, yeah. on screen transformations than that he had, than, than the last film than the Wolfman had. And let's just say, oh, I think man. the transformation sequences in this film outdo the oh, Wolfman visually. I think they're, they're amazingly they well are. done. They are. And I know that they, <laughs> there are stories about um, them having them, them them leaving Lon Chaney Jr. staked out like a gazelle at the watering hole <laughs> yep. while everybody went to grab lunch real quick and then coming back to, com- to complete everything because yeah. that's just how the filming stacked up that day. Yeah. And it's like, it, it was hell for Lon Chaney Jr. And you can see why uh, it wouldn't be long before he was ready to take out his frustrations on yep. just about anybody in sight. Yep. So, also starring in the film, playing the Baroness Elsa Frankenstein, is Ilona Massey who is a beautiful and very talented actress with an incredible background who, well... We've already seen her in Invisible Agent, right? I think was the one that... Uh, was that the one she was in? Invisible Agent, I believe. Oh, she was, was in the... No, what am I thinking of? She was in The Invisible Woman. No, you're right. Invisible Agent. I'm thinking yeah. of another actress who was in the, Invis- <laughs> the, the Invisible Woman. But she's fantastic in this. She I think is. that she's... Well, she's kind of up against the wall in a weird way in that mm. she's being forced to take over a role played by another actor in the previous film mm-hmm. because, well, that actor can't come back because, well, that actor was also playing another role in The Wolfman. Yeah. So <laughs> we can't have Evelyn Ankers, who was the love interest in The Wolfman and played <laughs> and played uh, Elsa Frankenstein in Ghost of Frankenstein, come back and play probably either role, to be honest, because then it just, you're talking about crossing the stream, screwing everything up and causing the space-time continuum to kind of fold in on itself and destroy the entire picture. Okay, then how did the world survive the fact that Patrick Knowles is in this and also in Wolfman? Because he's playing different characters. And Uh, one's a doctor. Yeah, you're right. I (laughs) did think it would have been funny if, uh, or just kind of bizarre, if they had gotten Evelyn Anchors to play Elsa Frankenstein again, but have her, you know, because... The two characters, played by Patrick Knowles and, and Ilona Massey, do go back to the Wolfman's hometown. How weird would it be to have Patrick Knowles and Evelyn Anchors return, playing two different characters, characters in the, the same <laughs> the same town? 
Well, I, I find it interesting that this movie uh, sports two Hungarian actors, and they don't have a single scene of dialogue together. No, that's true. <laughs> Bela Lugosi and, and Ilona Massey yeah. is like both yeah. from Hungary, yeah. and neither one of them, neither one of them, talked to each other in the entire film. And of course, we'll get to the whole fact that Bela Lugosi's character doesn't talk at yeah. all in this movie in the first place. Oh, by the way, one know. more thing about Elsa that playing uh, Ilona Massey here is actually playing the. She has the distinction of playing the last member of the Frankenstein family for Universal. Oh, that's unless true. you count yeah. the monster as part of the family but yeah. otherwise but in turns but she is the last there'll be plenty of plenty of future mad doctors and 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 scientists seeking you know uh, glory through reviving frankenstein to come but oh and, she is doctor, the la- and mad doctors turning on a dime like patrick Zell, Zell's oh my character gosh, yes yes but but yeah but she is uh, she is the last frankenstein of the universal series uh we 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 love we love you and perhaps the loveliest oh well, you know you may be right i mean because that's 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 kind of a tough call there. It's like Ellen Akers yeah. or Alona Massey. You're like, right. That is actually that's that's, that's man. That's I don't know where I don't there. know which way to jump there. <laughs> I, I really don't. Also in the film is Lionel Atwill once oh, again yes. re- returning to this film, playing yet another character. So this would be like <laughs> what? So he plays. Uh, let's see. He's in uh, Son of Frankenstein, mm-hmm. playing uh, the the local the local head of the police, mm-hmm. and then he's in. Uh, uh, Ghost of Frankenstein as uh, a not-so-mad scientist who gets rooked into mm-hmm. being a mad scientist mm-hmm. by the evil Igor that was played by Bela Lugosi. In this film, he's quite a nice person. He's yeah. the he's the mayor of Viseria. Yeah. He's, oh, he's, he's a really likable guy in this. Yeah, a twinkle in his eye. And yeah. He's he's, pre- he's pretty nice. And, of course, it's Lon Latwell, so well, he steals every fucking scene that he can get his hands on. Well, he was so. very happy to be working, and i got to say, I, I always... I, I yeah. admire Universal for the fact that they continue to use him because this was when he was undergoing his big trial for perjury. Yeah, and he was—they were urging, they were being urged not to put him into any films, and they, the fact they still did, I always thought was really cool. You know that they still still. I, 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 I'm so glad they did because mm-hmm. it's Lionel Atwell, and he always yeah. adds something to the film. Definitely. Uh, further down the list is this guy named who is it? Bella Lug- Bella Lugosi. Oh, That's Lugosi. Right. Yeah. Who? Fourth or fifth field here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Twelve years later, uh, actually finally playing the Frankenstein monster after he disdainfully said no to the character Mm -hmm. back in 1931 because, Mm -hmm. of course, the character had no lines of dialogue. Yeah. One might think that he was probably inspired to take this for two reasons. One, I need some money. Yeah. And two, well... He gets to speak dialogue. Now. Mm-hmm. He actually, mm-hmm. he's now the eagle brain has been transplanted yeah. into the monster, and that's mm-hmm. what, and that's what was going on at the end of Ghost of Frankenstein. So, lots of dialogue in this film. He gets to play a character, mm-hmm. even though he's in the uh, the clodhopper boots and the yeah. and the and the big weird makeup. But hey, it's a character dialogue. So. Bella yeah. Lugosi signs on. And he gets to play a blind monster, so he'll get to kind of stretch, you know, to yeah. like, you know, emote as like, you know, playing a blind, like mime or something, and to play a he's, blind. He's, he's, he's going to get to stretch out. He's going to show that Karloff. He's going to show that Karloff <laughs> that he can do it just as well. Yeah, that was not to be. Nope, afraid not. Maria Ospenskaya returns oh, playing Maria. the Gypsy Maleva. So good. She's so good. In she that. does not get the juicy thing that I loved so much from the Wolfman, which is... That that wonderful rendering of the of the uh, the the poem the poem about werewolfery, mm-hmm. uh, she doesn't get to say that in this. Yeah, and I was really surprised because I know Sodomac was was quite proud of both his his yeah. poems uh, that he over that he used so much in the first film, and I was surprised we only get the werewolf legend once in this, and we don't get we don't get Maliva's uh, we don't get her her spiel at all in the film. I figured that he would find I would have expected him to have found ways to pepper that. In throughout the script. Uh, not to jump ahead too far, but by the way, people, we are going to assume that you have seen this movie. Yes. It's, a, it's a few decades old, and it's only 72 minutes in length, so we're just going to assume that uh, we can spoil things. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that um, 
Soyster pointed out in this book mm-hmm. that had not occurred to me ever before mm-hmm. was the fact that uh, Maleva, the gypsy, we don't ever know what becomes of her. She just disappears oh. by the end of the movie. Oh, they botched the ending of this film. I hate to say it, but when you see what was planned for what they had her doing at the end of the movie well, from the original script, to. it was. I know they did. It's a yeah. shame because what happened. But man, it's too bad because. It was uh, been such a cool send off for her character if they had done the way filmed the they filmed yeah. it as written. We should we should I, we'll, we'll just go ahead and, and tell people what happened is there was an accident on set yeah. while they were filming the movie, and a, a wagon rolled over her foot, injuring her ankle. I think chipping a bone, mm-hmm. and she ended up in the hospital for like three or four weeks. Yeah, and so and this being universal, it wasn't going to be like, well, we'll shut down filming until you can return, dear. It's no, like, nope, no, 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 get it in the can. Get it so done. at that point, whatever she had in the can was what was going to be in the movie. And so Maleva, the gypsy, just disappears in the yeah. final act of the movie. And I'll be honest, I never noticed until I had it pointed well, out. Well, it certainly didn't bother me growing up or anything. I mean, it was yeah. definitely now that we're watching these, you know, doing this. When you're watching a film for a podcast, you find yourself so much more analytically yeah. looking at that, then that's when it really stands out to you like, holy crap, what happened to that character? You know, and just so the same thing we saw with Bela Lugosi, uh, Night Monster, at the end of Night Monster, his character. Yeah. So the, you know, uh, but at least with this, we do have an explanation and know why things worked out the way they did, but it is a big disappointment. It, it really Based is. Based on what it could have been. Based on what just, it could have yeah, been. We'll get in, we'll, we'll go over that later as far as what, 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 what how it was going to play out. We'll get back to that if we can pick up where we are here. Also in the film is Inspector Lestrade. Yeah. Uh, or should I say Dennis Hoey? Yeah. I wonder if I'm saying his name right. I don't know if it's Hoey or Hoey. Hoey or Hoey? I don't know. Hoey? I don't, at any rate, uh, he plays in uh, Police Inspector Lestrade. I mean, I'm sorry, Police Inspector Owen. <laughs> <laughs> dressed exactly like he was playing Lestrade, like they, like mm. he and Roy William Neal just like sauntered yeah. over from the set of. Hey, you still have your, yeah, you still have your costume? <laughs> Come on in here. You don't have to change a thing. All right here, here, here we go. Here are your lines. Go. Uh-huh. Oh my goodness, it's so true. <laughs> Rex Evans, a character actor, who plays Vazic, who is a. Uh, Without a doubt, uh, a dynamite wielding scumbag. This guy has got weapons of mass destruction, and he don't need to have them. <laughs> right, I know he's, yeah, he's 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 a bit dangerous. Uh, and the the la- the last actor I want to point out, just as a, a sheer joy, is um, the last the last film appearance of Dwight Fry. Yeah, yep. Big fan of Dr- Dwight Fry. Uh, man, he, this is. I, I, He's got some juicy lines in this. Yeah, he's got he's a got couple a of neat scenes. It's yeah. very hard to, to miss him. Yeah, uh, and he plays. Uh, strangely enough, he just plays a completely normal guy. Yeah, yeah, he <laughs> doesn't play the most create whacked of the villagers there. I know, so. I know. I mean, but this is you know he was in. Uh, I do believe he was even in the Ghost of Frankenstein. I believe he was. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he's one of those guys who uh, he's one of those actors that threads throughout. The 30s and 40s Universal horror films, but unfortunately, this is his last one. He did pass away. Heart attack at 44. And yeah, just honestly, no, November of 1943, he died of a heart attack, and he was kind of work. He may have worked himself a little I bit too of, hard. That's because, my impression. Yeah. Yeah, because he was he was doing uh, he was doing movies, and he was also working uh, in a uh, an airplane factory at mm-hmm. the same time. Yep. Yeah. And uh, what's what's sad is, from what I understand, the uh, the Los Angeles uh, obituary for him didn't even mention that he was a movie actor. Just just that he was a tool designer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, whew, I think it, it, it's a shame because he's one of yeah. those actors who nowadays, I mean, I, I just think of the the Ballad of Dwight Fry, the, the Alice, Alice Cooper, Cooper song. I, know. I think okay, to myself yeah. is like, yeah, man, if you know, yeah. if he'd lived just a, you know, how how long would he have had to have lived for? For an entire re- re- uh, re- resurgence of, of of knowledge, of understanding of just how much his portrayals in those films stood out mm-hmm. to those mm-hmm. of us who love mm-hmm. these movies, and 
sadly was not to be. It's just another one of those actors who died far too young, to be honest. I will mention here too, is just kind of a neat bit of trivia is the scene where they, uh, the scene where Patrick Knowles character and, uh, the inspector Owen character and, and, uh, where they go to later on, go to Larry Talbot's crypt, you know, to, yeah. to verify his story. And the, the guy that lets them in and out of the crypt, uh, Oh, it's Jeff Corey. Jeff Corey, who yeah. uh, went on to become one of the most respected uh, acting teachers in Hollywood and had like uh, like well over 200 credits to his name, and whose face, once you wait, especially as he got older, I mean, just one of those faces you recognized instantly. From a billion things. Yeah. He's just yeah. one of those character actors who popped up mm-hmm. 100,000 places 100,000 times, mm-hmm. yeah. This is very true. Interesting thing about him was that uh, even when he was blacklisted during the, the McCarthy era, you know, because uh, you'll notice on his filmography, you know, it goes like he makes a film in 51 and then doesn't make a whole other film till 1960, you know, so Ooh, he misses yeah. the whole 50s because he's blacklisted. Even during that time, Hollywood was still sending their actors to him for training, even though they wouldn't put him in, <laughs> in any of their movies. <laughs> we can't have evidence of this. That's right. Can't be any, we can't have you, can't have your face on screen. That's, that would, that would kill us all. <laughs> Let's start with what I always feel is probably at least partially an apocryphal story, which is how this film came about. Yeah, I wondered about the veracity of this too, but it's fun to tell. So It is a fun story, and I think we can probably quote fairly liberally from uh, what Kurt Siadamak wrote about it uh, himself, because, well, he's the one that's uh, who's who did write the screenplay for, for all its good parts and for all the parts that we might wonder about, but... Uh, Basically, he said he was sitting down at the Universal Commissary having lunch with uh, producer George Wagner. And he said, George, why don't we make a picture? Frankenstein wolfs the meat man, or meets the wolf man. He didn't laugh. And I wouldn't have either. Yeah, right, right. This was during wartime. I wanted to buy an automobile, and I needed a new writing job so I'd be able to afford it. George would see me every day and ask me if I had bought the car yet. I said, George, can I get a job? And he said, sure, you'll get a job. Buy the car. He said... (laughs) He said, well, the day finally came when I had to pay for the car. George asked me asked me that day, did you buy the car? And I said, yes, I bought it. George said, good. Your new assignment is Frankenstein meets the wolf man. Or uh, actually, he said, uh, Frankenstein wolfs the meat man. Or meets the wolf man. I'll give you two hours to accept. Now, I don't know how much of that is accurate, especially when you get to the yeah. longer form version of that story that Seattle has told in print, where he's uh, actually like, having lunch with Yvonne DiCarlo. And it's like, yeah. yeah, I mean, I can imagine that you probably yeah. met and talked with and maybe even uh, ate lunch in the commissary with Yvonne DiCarlo. Mm-hmm. But Yvonne DiCarlo was generally considered one of those beautiful women on the planet Earth. Yeah. And so the fact that you were probably not eating, I don't think you were eating lunch with her the day this happened. Yeah. I think you're merging two things together mm-hmm. so that you could say, you I was eating lunch. Yeah, I was right. eating lunch with Yvonne DiCarlo. <laughs> So yeah, anyway. yeah. Sort of had my suspicions about that as too, but. <laughs> <laughs> so what we have here is the first monster rally, the first monster mash film, mm-hmm. and this probably is the best of those. No matter mm-hmm. how you yeah. stack it, no matter how you may enjoy, no matter how, no matter how much you may enjoy those later movies, and I do enjoy them as well. This is the one that uh, set the template and really is the better of the three. Mm. Um, I guess I guess we just call them three. Oh, really? I guess there are four if you count uh, Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. I would consider that. Yeah. So oh, sure. say four of them. There are four of them. I would mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. So let's look at them that way. Yeah. So this is well. 
seminal. This is an incredible movie. This oh, is the kind of thing. Well, yeah. I mean, to well, again, to the whole generation that's known as Monster Kids, you know, started yeah. in the 50s going up to kids of our age, you know, to grew up just... I mean, if you're going to rank the Universal films in terms of quality, you know, I don't know, this may be further, a little further down your list, but if you're going to rank them in terms of importance to the kids of the 50s, the kids of, you know, to the whole, yeah. the whole legacy of the Universal, you know, how popular they are and continue to be. I mean, this film is, is one of the very top, I think, in terms of importance because of how it, what it did for, as what it does for a young person, kids, how it fires your imagination, you know, yes. and just the, that, what it is, 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 yeah, just, it's one of those films that this made, this is the film that made kids, you know, after they saw it, they ran to the, you know, family dog and clipped hair off of him and st- glued it to their face, you know, <laughs> or they or they went and found a square box and glued it to the top of their heads and they're, you know, and, and staggered around, you know, but I mean, this is what you, when you saw this film, when it turned up on television when you were a kid, this is what you were the rest of the day. You were either the wolf man or you were the monster and you, you know, uh-huh. you, this, this, these creatures, you know, these characters possessed you for, until your parents finally told you to stop that nonsense nonsense. and then do your homework or get come you know sit down for supper and quit fidgeting but yeah well i think that the beauty of this is that i don't know if it would be accurate to to make this particular connection i'm gonna make Mm. but it seems to me that this is the flashpoint that years later causes other fuses to ignite that would result in things like the endless conversations about who would win, Superman or the Hulk? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. What if Captain America and uh-huh. Batman fought? Uh-huh. Yeah, you know things like that. These, this is that same mindset, that same absolutely, for for lack of a better term, and for lack of a more descriptive term, that juvenile thought process of two fictional characters who mm-hmm. are in separate universes being mm-hmm. pitted against each other, mm-hmm. just because you wonder what yeah. it would be like. Yeah. So. This may be the beginning of that kind of thing because before this, I mean, I keep thinking about the the pulp, you know, the pulp heroes and the pulp things, the, the pulp stories, and it's like you, you never had, you know, Doc Savage meet the Spider or mm-hmm. or uh, the Shadow and Doc Savage <laughs> teaming up. No, no, that that came much later yeah. in a comic book form, and it all seems to descend, at least well, to my mind, from things like from, well, from this. And what this gets right from the very first two is we're going to give you a great fight, but we're also going to show you that it's okay to cheat you and not show you. Who, who would win the fight, you know, for the yeah. very first, you know, and that set the whole stage for that, you know, gonna, we don't have to actually answer the question. We're going to we're gonna let a fat bar owner <laughs> blow up a dam and interrupt the whole thing at the last minute so that we could never answer the question. And thus the term Doy Ex Machina was born. <laughs> Deus Ex Machina, you Deus are Machina. the yeah. world. Yes. Yes, well, you know, the fat bar owners have been breaking up breaking up yeah. fights long before this. And so I guess fat bar owners in Viseria breaking up a fight here is not too much of a stretch. But this to me, we should we should also, of course, uh, before we before we go any further, before we uh, make fools of ourselves, let's be let's be honest and say the reason that this film may be the nexus point, the the start starting line, the lighting of the fuse for why we are podcasting at all for the past 12 plus years is because this is the film that turned a young Jacinto Molina into a film fanatic and a monster lunatic. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. why decades later, when he got the chance, the first script that he wrote was the Mark of the Wolfman, Mark of the Werewolf. From from there on, you have Paul Nashi on screen yeah. playing Valdemar Nansky, and it's all descended from his love of this movie and his his love of the Wolfman most especially. And and you know, he described the first time he saw it as he described himself staggering out in a daze, basically after yeah. seeing it. I mean, it literally was that life changing for him, you know. And uh, 
Yeah, I mean, and, and he he knew from from his very first monster film, he knew that one monster is not usually enough. You got to you know got to throw in, <laughs> gotta throw in something else. Got to throw in some vampires, vampires maybe a second Wolfman. You know. Never can tell. It's probably yeah. a good idea to keep yeah. everything in the keep all those balls in the air. Yeah, that's right. And so, in a lot of ways, this movie is the reason Paul Nashy yeah. exists, yeah. and the reason we started podcasting yeah. in 2010. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, whew. It's it's a wild wild world out there, folks. It is, it is. And this movie is the start point. Yeah. And so, there are a lot of reasons we love it. Yep. And uh, now it's time to start going through the plot <laughs> and singling out the things that we love and the things that we are kind of questioning. Yeah. <laughs> Why does this exist? <laughs> Once again, using the uh, Universal Horrors book, their synopsis, uh, which I will I will be interrupting myself quite a bit, so feel free to do so as well. <laughs> sure. One windy night at the Lanwelly Cemetery, grave robbers break into the Talbot family vault intending to steal a valuable ring from the dead Larry Talbot. Apparently he's been dead four years at this point. Mm-hmm. And let's mm-hmm. just say that without a doubt... This opening sequence oh, is yeah. one of the best opening sequences oh, that man. Universal ever had. I mean, this set is just incredible, this cemetery set. They always were great at the old cemetery sets, but this may be the greatest of all of them. I agree. Even more than the original Frankenstein. This one is fantastic. Plus, the director's desire... Well, he pulls off this this longer-than-average pan shot following the uh, the two grave robbers mm-hmm. creeping into the graveyard and down the steps to the crypt and then breaking into the crypt. And it's just this beautiful thing that perfectly sets mood and atmosphere. It gives you the, it gives you the shivers. It looks cold. The wind mm-hmm. is blowing their mm-hmm. their leaves. It looks like it's fall because the trees are denuded of leaves. It's it's absolutely absolutely wonderful. And it's one of those moments where um could you? I mean, could you ask for a better setup for yeah. a monster movie no, no. than this yeah. opening oh, scene? Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, I just love the whole opening credits with the the the, the you know the yeah. fog you know billowing out of the glass you know the test tube. Yeah, I mean, it's a perfect melding of the science and the horror in one opening credit sequence. It's fantastic. I agree. I and mean, the music is incredible. You know, just great score. And of course, here I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot off. You're, you're, you're jumping to one of my favorite things about this, which is not something that a lot of people discuss when they think about this, because one of the things that you could, you could think about when you're looking at this movie is that this is a combination of a science-based monster franchise mm-hmm. and a supernatural monster-based yeah. concept. Yeah. So this is a melding, not just of Frankenstein and the Wolfman, but the idea of yeah. different types of horror. Yeah. Now, this is not something that, I, you know, I don't think anybody making the movie really thought too hard about. Yeah, right. But that's exactly what it is, is mm-hmm. you have the supernatural wolfman mm-hmm. who has the hellish time of trying to explain to people to the point where I want him to shut up 
<laughs> trying to explain to people and yeah. just demonstrate it and let them die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <'Cause> I, <laughs> why can't anyone understand? Oh right. my God, why can't anyone understand? Just shut up, Larry. <laughs> shut up. Yeah, and because you're, you're helping yourself by grabbing people by the collar constantly and, and attacking well, it's, them. It's, you it's know, not just that. <laughs> and this is, he did it a little bit in The Wolfman. But this is the movie where it cranks up mm-hmm. to, you know, from like a four or a five on the scale to about an eight. Yeah. And then when you get to the house movies, he's in full blown. Why won't anyone? Under, why can't you understand? What can I do to make you understand? Why won't anyone understand? Shut the fuck up. Just <laughs> shut up. And it, I, I, I want the. It's that, that's one of my. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna knit this. I'm gonna. This is a knit. Yeah. I'm gonna pick right out, which is. There needed to be some slightly different dialogue and a slightly mm-hmm. different way of handling those scenes. Like do that once, mm-hmm. but don't do it like four times in the movie where you're where where Larry Talbot is just he's like on the verge of tears. What will make anyone understand? Mm-hmm. You already know what will make somebody understand, dude. <laughs> just turn into a just werewolf turn, in front yeah, of them, yeah. and guess what? Just invite them over yeah. on the night yeah, of the full hey, moon, yeah. and they will shut up. Yeah. <laughs> they will believe you then. Yeah, because that's the only thing that's going to convince anybody. Right. right. Because. We are ostensibly in a science-based world. Yeah. This is the world of Frankenstein, where mm-hmm. the the most whacked out thing that has happened in this world is somebody sewed a bunch of dead parts together and created a live critter. So, mm-hmm. the supernatural and the science, mad scientist and the supernatural, ramming together and wrestling like a maniac yeah. until a fat guy blows up a dam. <laughs> that's, that's this movie. It's all fun and games until it's a all fat fun guy games. blows up the dam. That's, that's our new that's our new t-shirt there. That's our new <laughs> well, what we need. What we need yeah. is a still yeah. a still from the from the film of that character what, what's, yeah. what's, uh, what's the character the innkeeper Re- yeah, yeah, the like Rex 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 Havoc is that his, is the actor's name just a picture of him in character when he's up on did you actually his, say his name is Rex Havoc is it not it can't be Rex Havoc it that can't be, be that would be too awesome that would be too, that would be too Rex awesome. Evans oh okay <laughs> God, if his name was Rex, oh, Havoc, that the best, oh my man. God, that would be the best ever. That would be. I feel. I think. I think that just might be actually a comic book character. I'm just mixing them up. Oh my lord, Rex, Rex Havoc, damn dynamiter. Okay, okay, boy. Okay, I'm off the rails bad. But no, what I see, what I see is a T-shirt, is a picture of hit that character yeah. with him actually with the dynamite and everything on there. <laughs> It just, it just, when in doubt, blow the fucking dam. Yeah. <laughs> got monsters? You got monsters? Blow the dam. Blow the dam. <laughs> Hate everybody in town? Blow the dam. Because let's be honest, yeah. that water, it's not just going to take out that. Oh, I know. That village. Yeah, I know. Somebody's exactly. losing some cropland at the yeah. very least. Yeah. There's some cows drowning someplace <laughs> down there. <laughs> How did this guy get dynamite? I always keep coming back. How did he get dynamite? How? Oh, my God. Now, here's a, okay, here's a, to me, a continuity question, right? That I think is kind of weird, too, is this whole thing is, you know, apparently Frankenstein has last met his, the monster has last met his end. According to this, in a castle, but that's not a castle in Ghost of Frankenstein. No, no, no. This is the, the, this is not this does not match in any way, shape, or form. What's no. funny though is later in the film, Lionel Atwell's character even mentions obviously trying to tie it back to Ghost of Frankenstein. He says we burned up the sanitarium, 
you know, so he's referring to that, trying to tie yeah, it into because that's what movie. it was. But that's was, but it sure wasn't any castle. <laughs> I mean, this yeah, is, this is, no, this is a completely. <laughs> it's there are so many continuity <laughs> problems between the two films. Yeah. I mean, some of them they couldn't avoid because right. they're yeah. using some the same actors. Yeah, and of course, some people have pointed out that that's kind of a bad thing, kind of showing that uh, the Universal Universal Studios really had a much smaller pocket uh, or group of actors mm. that they were willing to draw on than they mm. probably should have if they mm. were going to do this stuff right mm. uh, not that I want to not that I don't want to see Lionel Atwell oh, yeah. playing yet another character or right. Dwight Fry playing yet another character or anything like mm. that but at the same time it's like when you're going to do this and you realize oh wow so if we mm. combine these two if we combine mm. these two worlds this actor played two different roles mm. we can't do that that's a problem so. yeah yeah but so <laughs> So yeah, you're right. That's a, that's another uh, a nit to pick, but but a good one because it's like I I agree, mm-hmm. but at the same time, give me a good old castle that can be brought oh. down by lunatic oh. and dynamite, and I'm happy. Oh, it's a great set. I mean, it's 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 fantastic. I well, love it's it. it's somebody somewhere going and probably Curtsy Automac. I don't know. Maybe maybe Roy William Neal or maybe even the producer just going. No, no, no. We need we need a castle yeah. that we can blow the shit out of. Like at the end of Bride of Frankenstein. That's yeah. what we need. Yeah. So, eh, maybe so, maybe so. But regardless, they crack open. We haven't gotten into like two minutes in this film. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Opening Talbot's coffin reveals his body in perfect condition despite the passage of years. The corpse is covered with a blanket of wolf's bane sprigs, which I think is a great touch. Also, neat little touch that I didn't notice until like the second or third time I saw this movie. Uh, his his fingernails have continued to grow, so they they're like mm. long and pointy. Yeah, which I, I that, that was a nice touch. Yeah, it is a nice touch. As the full moon shines in through a window, because these dumbasses went and cracked open this tomb <laughs> yeah. on night of the full, full moon. moon. <laughs> Talbot's Wolfman's side is restored to life. He kills one of the would be uh, tomb defilers while the other flees in terror, uh, as you would. Yeah, yeah. Well, in nearby Cardiff, sometime later, a constable finds Talbot laying unconscious in the street, blood trickling from a forehead wound. Now, I do like the fact that throughout this movie, we retain that that scar on his forehead on the on his on his left side, uh, and I think that, that kind of disappears in the next movie. Or so, yeah, yeah. Because what that is an indicator of is how he died. Yeah. In the first place, which is his his, his, his yeah. he was clubbed to death. He was, his head was caved in by mm-hmm. his by his father with that silver cane. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's great. I love the fact that they keep that. That's mm-hmm. that's one of the points of continuity that are actually that actually link up between the two movies. Right. Oh, and they point out here that the opening of Abbott Costello Make Frankenstein uses footage of that same constable filmed for this scene. Uh, in fact, more of it is seen in that movie than in this movie. Oh wow! Dude, yeah, I did not even yeah. catch that. I, I wouldn't have either if they hadn't pointed it out. Hospitalized, a greatly agitated Talbot tells Doctor Mannering, played by Patrick Knowles. Mm-hmm. And Police Inspector Owen, that's Dennis Huey, about his lupine alter ego, a story the two men are quick to dismiss. Well, how can yeah, I make you understand? Yeah, yeah, I can, but I turn into a wolf. Anyone listen to me. Also, I sprout eggs. And, <laughs> anyway. That night's full moon triggers another transformation, and the wolfman leaves the hospital and kills a Bobby. Uh, for, for those of you who aren't aware, that's a cop. Mm-hmm. Uh, as in the well, okay, let's let's get to another one of my. Favorite little 
Oh, yes, uh, of course. As in The Wolfman, the werewolf makes an off-camera change into his yeah. familiar prowling clothes <laughs> before going out again to the point of buttoning his shirt and tucking in his shirt tails. I always wondered if he had the little ring that he pushed the button and the, and the, and the, uni- <laughs> the, the outfit just pops out of it. Like a flash. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's, what's even funnier is that I think that you would get away with that, mm-hmm. except that we when we see him next, yeah, is the next morning when he's passed out on the bed and he's back in his pajamas. He's back in his pajamas. So like, did he come back, change back in his pajamas, and then pass out? It's like uh, we needed to work on. That. But I never thought that. But as a kid, I never crossed. Oh, it my never mind crossed once, your you know? mind when you're a <laughs> totally kid. Accepted. No, no, no. But yeah, but yeah, it is. It is really. You can't watch it and not notice it now. You know, you just it's yeah, yeah exactly. Well, Talbot, desperate. Searches Europe for Maleva. He he escapes after yeah. after uh, after <clears throat> killing it after killing that cop and nobody wanting to listen to him. He just leaves. Yeah. He uh, he searches Europe for Maleva and apparently spends quite some time, either weeks or months, doing this. Uh that would be the mm-hmm. the gypsy woman, the mother of the werewolf whose bite cursed him. And of course, the crossover there. Yes, because it was the the, the the werewolf that bit him was played by Bella Lugosi <laughs> and the Wolfman. So yeah. once again, we got. Yeah. Nothing. Uh, it gets it's it's that's the way it is, folks. That's the way it is. Always going to be that way now. Oh, and we get a cameo from Lon Chaney's dog, uh, the dog oh, that yeah. the dog that greets him suspiciously as he comes into the gypsy camp is Moose. That's uh, Lon Chaney's beloved dog. It's true. It's true. Uh, convinced that uh, oh well, Maleva is sympathetic to his plight and promises to guard and protect him the same way that she did for her son. And this, by the way, this is my. F- favorite acting scene in the movie. I think they oh. are both spectacular in this scene. It is a good scene. And, and, it, right. and I think it works better in the script. She's more immediately like dismiss, you know, like like tells yeah, him to go away. Yeah, she kind of pushes him away. Before yeah. she finally concedes. But I love that they keep much more, less dialogue and much more of just letting them show it in their faces that yeah. she is afraid but also concerned for him. And he is ecstatic to a founder but also afraid too because he's desperate for her help and he knows that he is frightening her yeah. all these things they convey just through their acting I think that they're both fantastic in this scene I, I agree with you and I think that they're able to convey uh, the, the, tri- the trickier thing is what she has to pull off which is this kind of resignation <clears throat> this this realization yeah. that this this is something she is going to have to deal with because mm-hmm. if she doesn't, she'll never feel right about it. Right. And, and you yeah. know, it's like, I, it's like almost as if <laughs> you kind of want her to say something like, damn it, you've been gone for four years. I thought this was over. Yeah. <laughs> but that would be the way I would write it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Not the way anybody mm-hmm. sane would write it. Well, convinced that Dr. Frankenstein might be the answer and that possibly he can end his existence. Uh, Maleva sets out with Talbot in a horse-drawn cart from the Bohemian Alps and the little town for, uh, for the Bohemian Alps and to go to the town of Vasaria. Okay, I also got to say here, I yeah, love I, I love the fact, well, you probably know no, what you're ahead. thinking. Yeah. I was going to say, I love the fact that Maleva knows Dr. Frankenstein and knows who, who he is. And uh, to me, it's like she's like the Nick Fury of Universal Land. She knows... <laughs> If they had done a thread, if they had tried to do a MonsterVerse back then, I love the idea of Maliva being like the one who ties all the, you know, she knows all the monsters, all the bad scientists, all that she knows, you know, she'd be like the, the little, she's uh, got the little, she gets the group band, it gets the group together, you she's know. Got, she's yeah. got like a, an old style European Rolodex with us. Uh, <laughs> under the, all, and all of the entries are under M, the monster. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
I know, but I just, I never picked up before to watching it for a podcast here. And I thought like, oh, that's awesome that she just did this little gypsy woman knows, you know, knows, knows Dr. You know, knows who Dr. Frankenstein is, you know, she's just keeping tabs on all that. I've heard, I've heard the news about this Frankenstein critter and maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know, we'll, we'll try it. But when they, when they spot it in the distance, the, the stock yeah. footage insert shot is of the western town of Greasewood from the May West W.C. Fields comedy, <laughs> My Little Chickadee, which is, once again, yeah. just one of those smart little things that Universal will do. Like, ah, it saves yeah. money. Yeah, absolutely. Throw that in there. It works. <laughs> well, uh, Talbert, uh, Talbot and Maliva receive a chilly welcome in Viseria mm. and are disheartened to hear that Dr. Frankenstein, along with the Frankenstein monster, perish in a fire at the doctor's sanitarium. The Ghost of Frankenstein Sanitarium and the Burned Out Castle scene in this film, of course, look nothing alike. <laughs> uh, there's a full moon that night, and the Wolfman, of course, there would be a full moon that night, and Maleva and Larry would not chain this dumb bastard to a tree <laughs> no. <laughs> so that he can't go kill people, yeah. which seems to be the obvious thing to do. Yeah. At least if you did that, and he still broke free, you would be able to say, I chained him to a tree. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want to do? Uh, well, the Wolfman kills young Margarita, uh, played by Mar- uh, Martha Vickers, by the way, in a scene recalling the Ludwig and the little Maria walk, the scene mm. from uh, Frankenstein, where the, the man yeah, carries, carries his dead daughter yeah. through town. Uh, her day's tavern owner, Father Vazic, and that's the Rex Evans yeah. character, yeah. you know, the one who should be kept away from dynamite, <laughs> <laughs> carries her body down the, uh, the, the main street of Viseria, Angry townspeople form a hunting party and chase the wolfman into the darkened ruins of the Frankenstein Sanitarium. And they already have their, you know, I love that after all these years. You keep them close to hand. I was going to say, after all these years, I love that they've just, they're like a SWAT team, you know, these these villagers (laughs) now. They have this thing down to this efficient, you know, well-oiled machine that, you know, that that within just an hour or two of the monster making its appearance into, you know, the latest trouble. They're they're ready to go, ready to march. There's a mysterious death. Let's go kill something. (laughs) Well, uh, they, uh, they go hunting, chase the wolfman into the uh, ruins of the, the sanitarium where the man-beast plummets through a hole in the floor and into an underground ice cave, like you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, later, uh, when he wakes up and is transformed back into good old Larry Talbot, he explores the frost catacomb and discovers the body of the monster. Of course, dressed as... He's, he's Bella Lugosi as the monster. Well, he's in, not, he's not in, in the first scenes. Well, that's true. And, and I never noticed that before. Let's talk about Eddie Parker for just a second. Yeah. Eddie yeah. Parker plays Lugosi, uh, plays the monster in many of these scenes. Because, <laughs> plays Lugosi plays playing, Lugosi the playing the monster. Because Lugosi was 60 years old, the... the um, Makeup was hideous. Yes, the costume was, you know, weighed a ton. Um, so Eddie Parker played in many scenes, including this first time you see him, something, again, I never noticed growing up. It didn't even register once, but this time, I'd totally forgotten about that. But when I went to watch it this time, I mean, the minute you see me, like that—that that ain't Bill Lugosi. You know? No, but, no, it's not. But he looks pretty damn good as the monster, and it got me to thinking just to play a little quick "what if" here, you know? Okay. Because, um, you know, I think I think to me Eddie Parker, you know, physically and with the makeup works better on his face, and he looks better, I think overall as the monster. So if they, I just think, of what if if they hadn't if they hadn't decided to get a name, you know, that they had to have a name actor fold one of their monster actors as the act as right. the monster, you know, to get somebody who was just more physically capable. Uh, what if Eddie Parker played the monster through the whole film? What would that have meant for Glenn Strange's career? I wonder, or or Glenn Strange's. I mean, Glenn Strange would have had an awesome career still, but I'm talking about, but yeah, like Glenn as Strang- a monster, as Glenn far as Glenn Strange would have just kept making westerns. Yeah, yeah, right. But Glenn Strange, iconic status as the monster. You know, what yeah. if Eddie Parker had been tabbed then going forward? 
uh, Eddie Parker would have been the guy if he continued. He would have mm-hmm. played him in the next three movies, and that right. would have made him the guy who played the character four times. Yeah, yeah. And the one thing that I don't now, the one thing that would have worked, I don't know if Eddie Parker could have pulled off Lugosi's really one great scene in this film. You probably know which one I'm talking about. Is yeah, is yeah, this, yeah, yeah. The evil smile at the end of the the film is just like when he's suddenly full power. It's like that's pure Lugosi right there, and it's awesome. You yeah, know, and, so. and there are actually a few not. They're brief, but there are a few scenes where you get the full Lugosi facial facial expression power, mm-hmm. and that's where it really pays off having Lugosi under the makeup. But mm-hmm. yeah, I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It would have been, but you're right. I mean, they were not they were not they were going to put a star, yeah. a horror quote unquote star, mm-hmm. under that makeup no matter what they did. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, to be honest, there are a number of points in this movie where somebody else is under that is under that makeup, and it's usually Eddie Parker, and it's mm-hmm. and it's because at a certain point. Uh, Lugosi collapsed while yeah. making this thing, and so was in the hospital for a little while. Right. So you know, it was not easy for this old dude. No, it really was chomping on his cigars constantly, and <laughs> yeah. eating whatever rich food he felt he could afford at the time to do this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the being embedded in, a, in, in ice because this is a trope that returns in uh, one, one specific Dracula film from Hammer. Years mm-hmm. and years mm-hmm. later, where yeah. we where Dracula is is uh, is in a uh, fr- is a fr- is in a frozen moat and gets uh, gets thawed out mm-hmm. from one film to the next, of course, and it's just it's always one of those great things. It's uh, it's it strides the weird line between uh, possibly scientific and possibly supernatural. Yeah, yeah. It's like okay, so cryogenics maybe yeah. or magic. Yeah. No, yeah. no, one or the other. But this, the ice cave is such an incredible oh, set, it. and I don't know how I don't know how exactly they pulled it off, but I do know that you can see their breath. Yeah, they, they so, kept so it it's cold. Into, that was just which is a great touch. I mean, that you actually you know can can tell that yeah, yep. it's really really freezing cold. Whatever they're doing here. <laughs> Although uh, not all of the the not all of the stuff there is ice. Some of right. it is, some of it's fake. Yeah. There's a rubber icicle that bends when uh, when uh, <laughs> yeah. Lon backs into it. <laughs> Uh, Talbot frees the monster from the ice in a scene reminiscent of Igor rescuing the monster from the uh, wall of dried sulfur in Ghost. Mm-hmm. So that's where they're getting the idea. But it's like, we'll do it in ice this time. Mm-hmm. Freeze everybody, quick. Mm-hmm. Get the refrigerators out here. <laughs> uh, and uh, he asks the monster f- uh, if he knows where Dr. Frankenstein's diary might be because it's supposed to contain the secrets of life and more importantly to Talbot, the secret of death. The monster leads Talbot to the hiding place of the diary, but the book is not there. Now, this is where we should start talking about how in this movie, mm-hmm. the monster was going to speak the way he was speaking at the very end of The Ghost of Frankenstein. And yep. it was shot that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they started once they started screening it, people just could not deal with the fact that, especially... Some of it has got to do with some of the dialogue that the monster was being given because my main complaint about the way Lawrence Talbert Talbert is written as this whiny, I just want to die kind of guy, which is what always ends up getting on my nerves in these movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, Seattamak seems to have kind of done a similar thing with the dialogue with the monster too. Mm -hmm. And I'll just put it Put it to everyone like this. Um, this is quoting from the uh, the book published of the original shooting script, the Universal Film Script series. For the audience in the screaming room, screening room, 
The topper came in the scene at the Frankenstein Ruins after the monster had crashed the festival of the new wine. Now, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. Why did you, uh, Larry says, why did you come down to the village? Now they'll hunt us again. The monster says, I was afraid you'd left me. I thought you'd found the diary and run away. I'm, no, I'm not doing Lugosi's voice. Yeah, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Fair enough. Larry, bitterly, you think you're so clever. Frankenstein gave you a cunning brain, did he? But you're dumb. You've spoiled our only chance. The monster, as doctor's voice is heard calling Talbot, don't leave me. Don't go. I'm weak. They'll catch me and bury me alive. Apparently, that's what did it. With Lugosi delivering his monster dialogue as fervently as he had played Romeo on the Hungarian stage, producer Wagner was terrified that the beast battle of the century would reap laughs. Desperately, he ordered editor uh, Edward Curtis to cut all of the monster's dialogue. Out came the uh, scene by the fire, which is the one we were about to discuss, and the I was afraid vignette, as well as the monster's musings before the climactic operation. In the sequence where Talbot, Talbot discovers the portrait of Elsa Fr Frankenstein and is told by the monster who she is, the monster's dialogue was simply erased from the soundtrack. Poor Lugosi stands there, his mouth flapping mutely. Along with the deleted dialogue, all reference to the monster's blindness was expunged as well. Hence, Lugosi's stretching and groping mannerisms no longer made any sense. Of course, ironically, these Lugosi mannerisms have been remembered throughout the decades, and whenever the Frankenstein monster is imitated by children, it is always with outstretched arms and blindly stumbling about. The damage done to Bella Lugosi's sincere but weak performance was devastating, and I would argue that the reason the performance may have been weak is that the dialogue does not sound right coming out of a creature like this. Yeah, I think, well, if there was... If there was anyone who could pull this off at all, you know, it would have been Lugosi if the dialogue had been better, if they had been able to channel the Igor character or, or kind of write something more convincing of that character because, you know, it wouldn't have worked for, it certainly wouldn't work for like Karloff or Cheney, you know, but for Lugosi, who was used to and, and, and commonly delivered these kind of megalomaniacal speeches, I mean, the whole, right. you know, of the strength of a hundred men, well, you know, it's like. Imagine him delivering some of the dialogue, even if he just pulled complete pages from the script for, say, the, the the stuff that he was saying in, say, Murders of the Rue Morgue yeah, yeah. or in The Raven. Yeah. And those mad, those mad speeches mm -hmm. that he's right. giving in those, right. uh, the, the complete lunatic over-the-top nature of the, that dialogue isn't ridiculous in context of the film and could almost... I mean, that's like almost a template for mm -hmm. what should have been used here, but Siadamak essentially turns him into this whining mm -hmm. blind thing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. who's so self-pitying that you want to slap him, and it becomes comic to the people who are standing there having to make a decision on whether or not this film's going to bomb or not. Yeah. You know, I think that the film also, I've never thought that before until this time re-watching re the film for doing this show, I actually think this film maybe could have benefited, or if they wanted to do keep the monster's character the way they originally intended, Yeah, I think they could have it could have done with a prologue, you know, and it wouldn't have had to have been like a super long one like in the last Mummy film we did. I mean, it could have been a short, but just something to show how the Wolfman and how Ghost of Frankenstein wrapped up and give the audience just a quick reminder of the ending of Ghost of Frankenstein with Lugosi, you know, with the creature speaking with Lugosi's oh, voice. that's a good point. Then yeah. it would have set up for the rest of the film the fact that he is blind yeah. and the fact that it's Lugosi. It might have made it a little more, you know, still might want to, it still wouldn't have necessarily fixed the weak dialogue, but it... No, but it could have, it could have smoothed, it could yeah. have smoothed it over because it's yeah. not your introduction to the creature. Right, right. Yeah, that's true. That's true, yeah. That's a good idea. 
it would have pushed back your 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 what you're envisioning would have pushed back that incredible opening scene yeah. in the graveyard, but that would be okay because you're essentially like going, Okay, you know, last time on Universal mm. Monsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> wouldn't be wouldn't be a bad idea. Wouldn't mm. be a bad wouldn't be it's not mm. a bad suggestion. Lawrence Stewart Talbot, who died at the youthful age of thirty one. R.I.P. That's it. Give me the chisel. Suppose they didn't bury him with the money on him. Everybody in the village knows about it. He's got a watch and ring and money in his pockets. It's a sin to bury good money when it could help people. <laughs> Excuse me, the creeps. What do you think it'll look like after so many years? Just bones. And an empty skull. What's the matter? So now Larry just wants that damn book. Yeah, because that's gonna die. To die. Don't you understand? Wanna die? Well, uh, sartorially splendid in Doctor Frankenstein's clothes. At least that's what they're suggesting here in this book, which is where Lon Chaney suddenly comes up with the dapper clothing that he's wearing the next time. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, Lon Chaney, as Talbot, poses as Mister Taylor mm-hmm. because that's not like Talbot at, at all. Oh, not the slightest. He's a potential buyer for the ruined castle, and in order to make the acquaintance of the Baroness. He says that he, he tells the mayor Viserion that he wants to wants to buy it, and uh, they set up a, the, the mayor sets up a meeting with Elsa Frankenstein, played by Alona Massey, mm-hmm. and uh, Grimly he now once he has her alone, Grimly admits that he wants to have sex with her. <laughs> Grimly admits that he now just wants to help locate wants help from her to locate Doctor Frankenstein's diary and explains why. Elsa refuses in a very beautiful way. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I'm caught up here. Yes. Uh, the mayor invites Elsa and Taylor to be guests of honor uh, at Viseria's Festival of the New Wine, even though they they announced to him that they've decided to not go through with the sale, essentially because, well, I mean, let's be honest, Taylor slash Talbot ain't got no damn money. <laughs> no. Not like he could buy the place anyway. <laughs> well, the festival is in full swing, complete with, uh, with an out-of-nowhere musical sequence. <laughs> yeah. Now, let's talk about the Festival of the New Wine song. Uh-huh. Follow was it follow yeah. uh, and I, I, I gotta admit, love this segment, but yeah. it's one of the first times yeah. in, in in monster movie history that suddenly, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> We're in a musical sequence. Yeah, I know. How yeah. do we get this? And it's a it's a very grim, morbid song that's sung with like such happiness. You know, know we're I all know. gonna die. La, 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 it's yeah. like it's like a it's like Nick Cave lyrics <laughs> set, <laughs> set to some you know new age soundtrack. It's like what the hell happened here? You know who totally needs to cover this song is Tom Waits. I would love to hear Tom Waits oh. do this song. It would be perfect. We're all going to die, children. <laughs> oh God, that'd be great. Oh, oh um, and uh, just uh, there's a great convention, folks, called Monster Bash. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, it takes place in uh, uh, outside Pittsburgh uh, in the summer. And uh, but anyway, one of their uh, traditions is they uh, they actually get together and you know they recreate yep. this festival of the new wine uh, song here. They all they do a part during one of the days where everybody who wants to can come and say, do a sing along of the festival of the new wine. <laughs> and, and you know what? You're gonna have fun if you do it. Yes, you will. Yes, yes, indeed. Well. Uh, 
The festival is in full swing when Dr. Mannering unexpectedly arrives on the scene and corners Talbot because, of course, he is a small-town doctor who's got the time to chase one of his yeah. patients mm-hmm. just all oh, yeah. over Europe right. for no damn good reason. Because <laughs> nothing interesting happens in you know in in, in London, so or, or wherever they were. Well, no, they weren't in London. No, they was were, it was uh, in a, what was this a town of the city? Either way, well, it was, L- 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 was it not Llewellyn, but uh, Len Willie or Len that small town? Anyway, yeah. Yeah. doesn't matter. What it, what Whatever it was, it was bigger. What, than it, here. what it is is we hope that that small yeah. town yeah. had a second doctor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because holy crap, a moly, he's just running all over the place, chasing down this sad sack loser. Yeah. What's the point? Well, he's followed Talbot across across uh, Europe via newspaper accounts of the Wolfman murders and is determined to see him institutionalized. The monster blunt at this point, the Frankenstein monster blunders into town and creates a panic. <laughs> before Talbot is, is able to round up his new friend and escape in a big wine wagon, <laughs> uh, which is an incredible sequence. Oh, it's awesome. And, uh, that is that is one of the few times in the movie where I'm like, I'm, I, I actually go, I hope that's not Bela Lugosi up there. <laughs> yeah. Because he, 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 would, yeah. he might die. <laughs> <laughs> but this, this whole sequence, while radically altering the tone of the movie, it comes at a point in the running time where we're at a hinge point, and this weirdly, this musical sequence in the center here really is the hinge point. And afterwards, we shift into a slightly different gear in this movie. And it's it would be easy to argue that the the movie gets less creepy, and it does, mm-hmm. because now we're having to kind of put into concrete terms a lot of. In other words, we move from what I would refer to as the more supernatural end of things yeah. kind of the tone that is set up by that opening sequence mm-hmm. into more of the Frankenstein end of things yeah. because we, 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 we've only got a certain amount of running time before we Holy make a God. doctor go turn into a mad scientist yeah so. this film this film accelerates man when it gets I was there was one point on this yeah. rewatch here where I kind of thought to myself I think we got about you know 20 minutes left here, you know. I did a quick check on the time. I was yeah. like, God, we got 12 minutes. Like, Jesus, you know. It's like, it's just, there's a certain certain point where it just... It oh, just event, event follows event, yeah. follows event, follows event, follows event. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's like, you, bar- you barely have time at a certain point to, to kind of to kind of just marvel at uh, how, you know, and marvel at Ilona Massey's long braided blonde hair. Right. And wonder, well, how long did that take? Uh-huh. Before you're realizing, oh, we ain't got time to focus on that. I know, we got monsters like, and shit. So hang on. Yeah, it's like Dr. Mannering's uh, repaired and shined up all this equipment overnight and we're ready to roll here. Yeah. Well, I, I love that we say, you know, well, 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 well hold on, we'll get yeah, to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, united in their desire to help Talbot escape his curse and to destroy the monster, Mannering and Elsa make their way to the castle and convince Talbot of their good intentions. Elsa produces her father's diary because it's not just in that little weird hidden yeah. alcove that the monster knew about. It's, it's, there's a little, there's a little switchy pole, yeah. there's a little, yeah. little chain and then boom, there it is. Because you know, yeah. wow, that's creepy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Is this is this, the, is this where where Elsa was punished? When she was shoved into this weird little closet off the library and punished when she was a youngster. What the hell? Well, uh, she produces her father's diary and turns it over to Mannering, who decides that he can repair the charred electrical equipment in Frankenstein's laboratory and use it to drain the life energies from both Talbot and the monster. And that is how this should go. But yes. Oh, and this is, and I never realized to watch and rewatching, it never occurred to me that 
you know, this is what they're making fun of in Young Frankenstein, where he oh, talks yeah. about the reverse in the... Because most of when I watch Young Frankenstein, you know, most of it is satirizing Son of Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, you know, most the Karloff ones. Yeah, yeah. But the part where he's reading from the book and he reads yes. about the reverse, if I took the plus to minus... Minus so and the minus to the it plus. could work. You know, it's like, I expect <laughs> Mattering to do that at that point. There. Well, I mean, it is ridiculous. <laughs> it is I mean, ridiculous. It's, oh, another, it's another instance of, of where... It's like Kurt where, was in a hurry in that day and he didn't really... Well, that's yeah. just it. It's another one of those instances like the, 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 the stuff that got cut where you're yeah. just like, well, the dialogue needed to be better than this. Yeah. There needed to be something. It, it should at least be the levels of Star Trek techno babble, you know. <laughs> well, or, or nothing at all, just him frantically yeah. reading this and just occasionally saying a word or just, you know, getting this incredible look at it. Because Patrick Knowles is a good enough actor to have been able yeah. to pull oh, yeah. off just looking at and the And you material. could have done little close up montages of formulas and things that make no sense, yeah, but yeah. they're shown so quickly. Or just that, show him know, writing stuff down write and, then like, and looking back at the book and spending some time on it and then going, I've. And then just really just looking up and kind of saying to himself, I've got to try it. I've got to. And that would have been better, I think. Yes. Well, because it would have been just something extra. Because that, yeah, because we have to also talk about Dr. Mannering suddenly. <laughs> His heel turn. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. It's a, no, there isn't. Up till then, yeah. he's been a mild-mannered doctor. Yeah. Going way way out of his way to track down the wolfman murdering bastard so that he could stick him into yeah. a hole somewhere and keep him from killing yeah. people which by the way makes him a hero yeah yeah right that would yeah. make that whole idea that he has there his through line of this character would make him a hero until this moment when all it takes is this damn Frankenstein diary and suddenly he's a freaking mad scientist off to the races yeah. uh, what do you what, what can you say other than is it Siadamak's problem? Yeah. Or is it just the reoccurring problem of if you're anywhere near that damn Frankenstein monster, eventually <laughs> you're just going to go, let's rev this sucker up. <laughs> right? Run it around the track. <laughs> let's just see what happens here. I wonder if it'll blow a tire. Let's just see. Yeah, I know. I know. It's I, On the second viewing especially, I was really trying to jot down like how many... Do we get sufficient hints that he's about to take this no, total bucket? No, nothing. I know, and it's like, yeah, I came away thinking, like, yeah, this film needed a couple more minutes. It needed, like, it needed what you're talking about would have worked really well. Or it needed, and it may have, could have used something early on in the film to sort of give a hint that he's, yeah. if nothing else, the person who's really into experimentation with science. You know, he's got some sort of really... Something with the, some kind of, where, where it shows some edge to this character, yes, something yes. that's a little off kilter, mm, right. so that when this happens, we're not just all sitting there looking at each other and going, he just went crazy, didn't he? I mean, we just watched him go crazy, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's what we're, this, this, I would think going crazy would look different than that. Yeah. <laughs> well, at any rate... It's like I'd rather have Lionel Atwell overseeing everything than this well, guy. Well, yeah, I mean, at least then you're like, well, Lionel Atwell, he's, he's, he's going to so yeah. go crazy. Look at him. <laughs> well, Mannering puts the lab back into working order and prepares for the ultimate experiment with both Talbot and the monster strapped to adjacent operating tables. But in, and I love the way they put this in this book, yeah. but in an uncharacteristic moment of Mad Doctor style zeal, he decides <laughs> it would be more interesting or more fun or some damn thing to see the, <laughs> to see the monster in his full, full power, power. <laughs> which he accomplishes <laughs> by reversing the polarity or some damn thing. Thing. Ungrateful for his new lease on life, the monster menaces Mannering and Elsa just as the full moon begins to rise, and Talbot yeah. undergoes his familiar change. And this so is where we Talbot do have, goes nuts. And this is where we have the wonderful Lugosi, just where he looks over at Elsa, you know, and he gives yeah. her that grin, like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, baby. Oh, yeah. I'm juiced up now, baby. That's right. You ever heard of Viagra? That's what we're talking about right here. Oh yeah. Well, what the script calls the fight of the titans commences. 
As Mannering and Elsa flee the castle, the monster and the wolfman engage in an exciting brawl complete with furious strangleholds, spectacular tackles, flying lab equipment, and a combination of Wolfman and Ghost of Frankenstein music cues. And millions of monster kids were born <laughs> in <Yes>. this moment. <laughs> Mill- millions of kids yeah. screamed, Yay! <laughs> As if the rising moon wasn't enough of a coincidence, yeah. we have another, which is Vazic, who's decided mm. enough of this shit, right. and has gotten yeah. the dynamite and gone right. up to the dam. He blows up the dam in order to destroy the Frankenstein castle and the monsters within. Still locked in their life-and-death struggle, the monster and the wolfman are swept away in a raging torrent. The end. Yes. And, of course, point out, and I never noticed that the gypsy Maleva just disappeared from Just there. is gone for, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's yeah. Um, so let's talk about the wonderful ending that had been planned for Maleva. Okay. So she's going to, in the script... While this is going on, you know, while Maliva is leaving, she's getting her wagon ready. She's going to ride away because she thinks that Larry Talbot's about to die. You know, the doctor's going to fulfill his his what he promised to do, and he's going to kill the monster, and he's going to drain the power, drain the energy away from the monster and right. from Larry Talbot, and he's going to kill. And she doesn't really want to see that. You know, she's kind of done what she can do. He, she, he's going to be at peace. She's about to ride away. She hears, you know, the explosion and the chaos going on at the castle so she goes back to see what's going on right as our hero quote unquote uh, dr mannering and and elsa are are escaping and so they they're running from the castle as it's being destroyed and so they meet up with maliva they all get on the wagon you know maliva's wagon they all get on her wagon and she drives them away right you know as the castle's destroyed and the monsters are destroyed well they get down to the village you know, Maliva and, and the doctor and Elsa, they get down to the, the village where all the villagers have come out to see this. They're seeing all this going on and the, the dam flooding, you know, and they're all watching it. So they come down to the town and, and basically with the villagers, they all watch the, the castle and everything get destroyed. And so then she just, while the villagers are talking amongst themselves or whatever they're doing and, you know, and Dr. Mannering and Elsa are there, you know, she just... You know, the script says she just gets on her wagon and rides away, you know, without anyone noticing her. And I thought, what a great, she's like John that Wayne. She's great, like John yeah. Wayne at the end of Westerns, you know. She's just going right. off into the sunset. And I thought, no, no, a, no, riding off into the moonset. Into the moonset, yes. And I thought, <laughs> yes. I thought, what a great send-off that would have been for that character. So I was just, but, I was like, oh, that's a shame they couldn't have done that. That is a, that, that would have been a, a great. And it career. really only would have added a few more minutes, like a couple oh, of minutes oh, sure. to this film. It would have turned it into yeah. like a 76-minute long movie. Who cares? Yeah. You yeah. know, do yeah. it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I I do think there are so many what ifs in this movie. Yeah, and of course the biggest is I would still like to have a cut of this film that has the monster talking in. It. I would too. I would love because yeah. I don't know that it's necessarily something that I mean I know that at this distance we wouldn't find it ridiculous because we want it so badly. The people right. who would be yeah. aching to to see this stuff, we wouldn't find it funny. We wouldn't find it no. to be the kind of ridiculous thing that was that it was thought of as at the time. So we would love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it made it a good or uh, a good or a bad movie would be beside the point. Right. It would yeah. be a different version of the film. It would have been something closer to the original concept and would have added a lot to it for us. So in a perfect world, somebody would find this footage and we would have two cuts mm-hmm. of this movie and I would be a very happy little monster kid. But we're not going to have that. It's been doubtful that's ever going to happen. Uh, I did post over on the blog... Uh, this wonderful video done yeah. by some people who did who who, who uh, took the took the script 
and uh, kind of recreated using some stills mm-hmm. uh, the the sequences that were edited out of the film with the monster talking, and it gives you a good idea of where they would have fit in the movie yeah. and how uh, effective or ineffective they may have been, and it gives you a good concept to kind of base your thoughts on whether it would be good or bad. Yeah, and I really appreciate somebody doing that, taking the time doing that, is because yeah, like yeah. I said that's the most we can do right now. Um, yeah. Uh, something else I would have loved to have seen uh, that that uh, is uh, that the ending, you know, because this is suddenly Universal sort of setting the precedence for what Hammer would do over and over again. You know, is 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 man roll them, you know, roll that <laughs> roll that the end, you know, pull up the end is you know, no time, no no fat on the ending there. When it's over, it's over. So we only Monster see De- Monster Dead movie over. Yeah. So we just get a quick scene of Doctor Mannering and Elsa Frankenstein as they've managed to escape the hero and heroine, yep. and they're they're turn around and they're watching the destruction. And uh, what I think it's missing is after we see the last scene of the the water washing away the castle is turn back to them and she turned to him and just smacked him and say nice going asshole. <laughs> That's all I ever inherited right there. Because <laughs> you just fucked it all up. Yeah, because it's trying to set up this great you know ending the classic romantic ending of the you know the, the hero and heroine. Which the movie does it. not earn. You're right, exactly, and he definitely doesn't. I mean, it's like no. I said, is like she she just she he's only earned a kick in the balls from her after he told her that he was gonna. Yeah, you, you were know. supposed to fix this problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There were two problems. <laughs> yeah. you were gonna fix them both. Yeah, and what did you do? Yeah. You blew it on both counts. <laughs> All right. <laughs> blew it. You you're, are a loser. You're not going to get close to this body. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to get anywhere near this luscious beauty mark on my face. I will strangle you with this long, beautiful braid of hair <laughs> before I, <laughs> I let you I will whip you senseless and kill you dead. <laughs> well, before we, well, uh, before I get too far away from it, I just want to say that. Uh, I do. Not that all of the dialogue. The dialogue I read earlier from the from the scene that was to take place after the after the uh, the screw up at the mm-hmm. the festival of the new wine uh, is is a little cringe. Mm-hmm. But I have to admit, I do like the dialogue from earlier in the movie that was written for the monster. That's some pretty good stuff. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, "It's when they're uh, it's when he's dug him out of the ice and yeah. they're sitting there next to the fire, and uh, you know they're getting to know each other." Right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and the monster says. Dr. Frankenstein created this body to be immortal. His son gave me a new brain, a clever brain. I shall use it for the benefit of the miserable people who inhabit the world, cheating each other, killing each other, without a thought but their own petty gain. I will rule the world. No, you gotta like that. Oh, and Lugosi could have made that work. He made, he gave he gave speeches like that all the time, and 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 he was great. He was great at it. Yeah. And it would have been. I mean, that that's the kind of dialogue that I'm talking about that yeah. would be perfect. For this character, because remember, the reason Igor wanted to be in the body mm-hmm. was because he figured he would then live forever, and he hated his own body because it was so misshapen and the mm-hmm. bra- you know the, the, the messed up neck and you know the fact that he's sixty and slowly dying. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right. Oh wait, I'm reading I'm reading some some Lugosi into that, but nevertheless, <laughs> that would have been good. Yeah, but one of the great things about this movie is that there's so much in it, mm-hmm. and in a weird way. Although some of this happens in A Son of Frankenstein as well. This is one of the first of the Universal Monster movies where you can start to take little pieces, little scenes in there and imagine. It's almost like it's the first movie that inspires Universal Monster fan fiction. Okay? Mm-hmm. Because sure, absolutely. Yeah. It, really, it really does. And it kind of points the way because it is that Monster Rally mashup thing. But there's so many little details in here. And, and, and there are so many things that are almost can, can almost be read as 
threads that are not explored enough, but that there's just enough there for your mind as a, as a, someone who's going to watch this movie over and over again to kind of latch onto and to think about. It's the first Universal film that makes you start thinking of Universal land as we talk yeah. about, of this as a uh-huh. shared world, you know, start trying to connect pieces from all the movies. It's together. the, it's the, it's the Universal, <laughs> Universal Monster Cinematic Universe. Yes, it is. To coin a term that I <laughs> probably am not coining. Um, Here's 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 an interesting thing. Once again, put forth by uh, John John T. Soyster in the uh, uh, '40s Universal Monsters: A Critical Commentary book that I found absolutely fascinating. Earlier in the film, when uh, Leva and Larry show up in Viseria, there is a a neat bit of characterization, and it's almost a throwaway that takes place in Vasic's Inn. Oh yeah. Uh, when Rex Evan as Vasic, the the guy who ends up with the dynamite. Is snapping testily, I'm I'm quoting from the book Mm -hmm. here, says, When Rex Evans is snapping testily at Maria Osmanskaya's request for directions, Cheney and Martha McVicker are staring at each other. He with fear and animal longing in his eyes, she with the placid and helpless gaze of a deer caught in the headlights. Here's a question. Might this exchange somehow tie into the conceit raised in the Wolfman that the lycanthrope sees the pentagram appears on his next victim? as when said contrivance popped up on the hands of Faye Helm, his first victim, mm-hmm. and Evelyn Ankers. Well, the first Faye Helm's the first victim of the film right. that Bela Lugosi's character kills him. That might explain Maleva's being able to just stand there and yell when the wolfman does not attack, the wolf, when he changes, doesn't attack her. Her being spared was not so much a, con- a conscious decision on the wolfman's part as predestination. Still, there was no on-screen sign of the five-pointed star showing up anywhere on Vazic's daughter. And at that point, the writer just goes, are we overthinking this? Actually, I'm so glad you read that because I had that in my notes, uh, something along those lines. I think he took it even further and better than I would have. But I was going to mention uh, that that moment that passes between. Because in one of the reviews I read of it, and one of the, the, uh, it might have been from the Cheney, the book on Long Cheney, the actor series book maybe, but somebody, a writer, was, you know, talking about how that he was he was describing that as just being kind of a weird like a side of Cheney just being like showing being creepily lusting after this little girl. Right. And that's not how I read it. What I what I, way I read it was, or when I saw, I, I thought that it was because it's getting so close to the full moon that he's already part of his wolf persona is starting oh, to rise in him. And interesting. He's, yeah. And the way he gives her that look, like he's seeing her more. It's not a lustful look to me. It's more like a more like a or you know a, or. A, uh, the wolf, you know, just seeing a victim. Um, I like his thing about possibly that that maybe he saw the pentagram in the girl. Yeah. Uh, but it never shows that. But uh, that's a neat take on it too. But yeah, I didn't. I, I didn't see it as being some kind of like him being attracted to her. As more like some sort of fascination that he's not really understanding himself. That's making him. That's making him feel drawn to her. I, I think. I think it's interesting that if they had added a shot of him spotting. Oh, that would pentagram been, on yeah. this girl. That would have been that would have been perfect and the perfect callback because, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. as we can all attest, uh, past that first movie, the whole pentagram thing just dropped like right, a rock. It it's yeah. never never there, and that makes me it does make me wonder if that was something that they were going to continue including and they just mm-hmm. snipped it out and moved along, because that would been that would have been the perfect moment because she mm-hmm. is then of course a victim yeah uh, of the yeah. Wolfman later on, interesting but. Not something that I had thought about, mm-hmm. and I was glad to read that and have that. And once again, it's just one of those things where there are all these little things. That that would be a little short story 
contained within mm-hmm. the, the running time of this that some fan could go off and write, that somebody could actually sit down and, and, and produce, and it would yeah. fit perfectly within the structure of the film and fit everything, all the themes, all the characters, and all the characterizations. It would be, it would be really neat. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned a minute ago the the actor series books you know the Midnight Marquee put out and they yeah. did the one on Lon Chaney and the, uh, David H Smith wrote the entry on Frankenstein meets the Wolfman and he said something interesting uh, that I've also seen uh, echoed by um, Gregory Mank and uh, uh, Calvin Beck of Castle of Frankenstein said it too because he made the statement that uh, this was Lon Chaney's finest hour for Universal. And I know that we'll have to kind of plow through more Cheney stuff before we could probably really look back and assess that. But I just wonder what you think of that right off, just hearing that statement there. I like okay, that that that's interesting. I was kind of going to go in that direction myself here. Cheney does seem more at ease in this film Mm -hmm. as the character. I mean, he would later refer to the Wolfman character as uh, Larry Talbot as kind of his baby. He's the he's the only actor who played the role, and um, he 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 did you know. Played it in five. What was it five movies? Yeah, five movies. Yeah. So um, I, you can understand having a, a certain sense of, of uh, ownership to that mm. character, but mm-hmm. uh, I think I like his performance better in this because there are moments in the Wolfman, and I know I'm. I'm <laughs> yeah, I remember you. you I'm, 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 I know I'm in the minority on this. <laughs> I, I don't think that. I mean, I don't think he's the best performance in the Wolfman by far. I think Claude Rains rules that movie. I think some of the other actors are mm-hmm. exceptional. Uh, and I think, but I think he is better in this film. I think he mm-hmm. has eased mm-hmm. into the role. He's mm-hmm. got a he's got a real handle on it. And whatever whatever it is, I don't know if he, I don't know if it was a different director. I don't know if he uh, had a different attitude. I don't know if it was something that he liked about uh, the way it was done. I mean, who knows? It could be moods. But I like him better mm-hmm. as a performer in mm-hmm. this movie than I do in The Wolfman. Not that I dislike him in The Wolfman. Mm-hmm. It's just that when there's that much acting power. Yeah, around yeah, in, right. in a film, you kind of have to you kind of have to think about it. What I will say is that um, I, I don't really agree with the assessments of him being incredibly good in this movie. I think he is quite good in this, but when I when I read descriptions of how good he is in this, they always strike me as a little off base. And here's a good example from the Universal Horrors book: it says Cheney dominates the film, forlorn but no longer whiny. Desperate but not as panic-stricken, his Larry Talbot evokes greater sympathy as he searches for the secret of death. Uh, yes, if you ignore mm. the first fifteen minutes <laughs> of right. the movie, right. where he's whiny yeah. and is mm. and, and and I, I it's. He, he, yeah, I kind of enjoy him more when he's being kind of Mister Suave, you know, kind of yes. trying to, you know, when he's yes. being more restrained, you know, than. And this is this is from the uh, from the other book I was quoting earlier. He says, "Here we go again, the same old song with the re- re- with the refrain alternating between, but you must and can't you understand mm-hmm. the dreary one note tone that Talbot or Taylor or whatever he's calling himself may be logically sound, but it's also dramatically deadening. 
there are there may be only so many ways of getting a certain point across, and after all, this is only a slick little B horror movie, but was Kurt Sciatomac so lacking in inspiration that he could not take a character of his own creation and have him evolve beyond all the nonstop convetching so as to win sympathy rather than cause irritation? And like I say, that is the, the introduction of the Wolfman character of Larry Talbot mm. in this movie that changes as the movie goes on because mm. once he's surrounded by some characters who actually believe he's a damn Wolfman, yeah. we get past the, yes. why won't anyone understand, mm. which always just ends up like, <laughs> like a cheese grater on my flesh. <laughs> right. And so this, this I, that may be one of the reasons why I like it better. Mm. And it's the same reason why I kind of like uh, Larry Talbot earlier in The Wolfman more, his performance especially, mm. when he's, uh, you know... Going, going to buy a cane mm-hmm. and really just there to hit on Evelyn Anchors. Yeah. More than later on when he's when he's you know, he looks like somebody's just poleaxed and he's going, yeah. <laughs> you don't understand. It's like, look, look, they're not going to understand. Yeah. You need to find another way to say yeah. this. Yeah, think about how this looks, how it sounds. You know, <laughs> yes, what you're think yes. for just a second. <laughs> and, it, and it is, uh, I, I'm going to lay part of the fault for that on the script writing. But but it, it, it's still that actor saying those lines and making me go, shut up. Yeah. But still, yeah, I think he's better in this movie. As yeah. to whether it is, uh, whether it's Cheney's finest performance, I know, I know I'm a heretic here, but I, I still think that his best all, all over performance is going to be man made monster. Well, actually, I was thinking of that ir- one. He Did, never irritates me in yeah, that movie. Yeah. No, I was, I would think that's a strong contender, you know? Yeah. 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 So, nevertheless, yeah. I, I, I do love this movie quite a bit. Yeah. And um, I just, I think that uh, there's, a, there's, a certain, there's a certain joy in this movie that it's the same little geeky joy that brings me back to Ghost of Frankenstein over again and makes me even enjoy the very episodic and not always particularly great house films. Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. them both. Oh, me too. Yeah. And, but this is the one that has... Of of the monster rallies, mm-hmm. and I and I discount the Abbott Costello film because that's its own that's mm. its own beast, right? Yeah. That's its own thing, and it's yeah. just an astonishing thing, of course. Yeah. But the joy this film mm. brings to me never ceases to abate. Mm-hmm. It never ceases to uh, be a, a source mm-hmm. of uh, an immediate smile. It's seventy two minutes of absolute joy. Mm-hmm. It's pop the popcorn and yeah. just have a blast kind of cinema. And it's it's always it's been that way from the first time I saw it. Yeah. Until the the, the you know the fiftieth time I've seen yeah. it. So yeah. And one one last plot thing I'll mention that I do uh, I forgot to mention earlier that I do think is really a neat touch too. Uh, you mentioned Claude Rains is is the reference to John Talbot and the and the fact yeah. that he died of, of just died grief. Of from, yeah. and, and I think that's a nice, that was, they could have just totally left that out, but I like the fact that they kind of, I mean, it fits with what we know of him, but it, it yeah. adds a certain, it adds an extra level of tragedy to the story that I think was a nice little script touch there. And, and I'm still a little shocked that Claude Rain doesn't, Claude Rain doesn't pop up in the film just playing somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe by then he was too expensive. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, well, critical reaction to Frankenstein meets the Wolfman was generally lukewarm with many writers treating the film as a joke, which was perhaps to be expected. But it is far a far better film than its audience required. And I think that's a good way to look into mm-hmm. it as we dive into uh, Critics Kate's Corner. Corner. Now, uh, I want to lead off with this because I want to I want to see your face light up. Uh, oh, do we have our... Troy? Yes. Hang on. 
grip the chair arms carefully <laughs> because we have the words of Bosley Crowther. Yay. From the New York Times, Bosley Crowther, March 6, 1943. Not very horrible. <laughs> Universal will have a try again. Why not unite with Monogram and turn out a horror to end all horrors? Wolfman and Monster meet the East Side Kids. <sighs> Bosley, you were you were you're always there for us, and you were psychic. I mean, because <laughs> we, we practically <laughs> pretty much pretty much got that. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah. Just a few years later, <laughs> yeah. it, was, it wasn't the East Side Kids. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it was better. It was a better comedic uh, grouping, but uh, nevertheless, uh, from the Hollywood Reporter, February nineteenth, nineteen forty three. As lurid, as wild, and as screwy as it sounds on paper, it's magnificent melodrama. If you like your movies that way. And there are plenty who do to make it a whale of a hit. A special bow to the camera and the special effects. And I would like to point out that this is a beautifully photographed movie. Oh my God, yes. We talked a lot about oh. that opening sequence. Man. And uh, the cinematographer who... Well, first of all, just the choice of doing that opening scene that way mm. shows you mm. that everybody was on their A-game. Everybody oh, yeah. was bringing it. They're really bringing... Uh, yeah, sets, of, music, cinematography. Yeah. Technically, this film is fantastic. Yeah, it really is. The cinematographer who, who was responsible for this film has like nearly 200 credits. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's just say he, he worked on a, a lot of uh, the uh, Abbott and Costello films mm-hmm. uh, after this. But he was the director of photography on... Uh, well, let's... Let, let's just let's just stick with things that we would uh, we would be curious about. Mm-hmm. He he went on and did uh, House of Frankenstein and House of Dracula. He did Murders in the Murder in the Blue Room, uh, The Scarlet Claw, Cobra Woman, Alibaba and the Forty Thieves, Son of Dracula, yeah, yeah. Captive Wild Woman. Before this, he uh, did The Mummy's Tomb, Eyes of the Underworld, which is a film that I kind of enjoy. Uh, he did a couple of the the, the Falcon films. And I gotta say that the black and white cinematography in this movie is top notch. And of course, having that once again, we've talked about how great it is that these '40s films have a tendency mm. to look better just because they're less old, right? Than the '30s films and the Blu-rays, really the Blu-ray of this, oh, it sparkles. It's fantastic. It sparkles. Yeah. They have really great oh, uh, yeah. source material to draw mm-hmm. from, and it's so wonderful. I, I cannot imagine that the films look this fantastic when yeah. they were being. Projected onto a screen in 1943 or 1944. I mean, it's just, yeah. they're beautiful. They really are. He did Son of Frankenstein, too, which is just a visual stunner, yeah. you know? So, yeah. yeah. So, oh, so, he did, oh, he did Son yeah. of Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's, he's an amazing cinematographer. Uh, he's, oh, I'm sorry. I should, I should say his name. <laughs> did I say his name? <laughs> I don't know. George Robinson. George Robinson. He's, he's, he's a fantastic cinematographer, and he makes this film. He, his contributions to this film are uh, exceptional mm-hmm. and worth, worthy of note. Okay, from Variety, February 19th, 1943. Uh, Kurt Siadamak delivers a good job of fantastic writing to weave the necessary thriller ingredients into place. Uh, we would have some things to say about that. Yeah. Uh, eerie atmosphere generates right at the start. Now, that is true. Yes, it is. <laughs> he's it he's up, obviously yeah. remarking on that opening scene. Yep. From Film Daily, March 1st, 1943. A horror feast in which devotees of the weird and the fantastic will gorge themselves to bursting. Mm. The opportunities for screams are offered with unparalleled generosity. <laughs> Heaven knows what so rich a diet of scariness will do to the kids. <laughs> yeah. It'll turn them into It'll turn them into the future directors, yeah, writers, yeah, yeah. you know, makeup artists. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll be creators themselves. Uh, New York Daily News, Kate Cameron, March 6th, 1943, two and a half stars. Mm-hmm. The producers have spent time and money on the production and have gone to considerable trouble to give it the proper atmospheric touches. I would agree with that. Yep. 
Yes, indeed. So, Troy. Yes. We have both probably watched this film in excess of a dozen or two dozen oh, times. Easily, easily. I have probably watched this movie along with most of the Universal horror films far far more times than is healthy. <laughs> <laughs> where where on the one to ten scale does this one land for you? Okay, yeah, I <clears throat> I love this film so much. My love for this film, what it meant to me as a kid, what it means to me as an adult, all the things that are so beautifully beautifully done as we talked about it uh, uh, of the film. Made me want to give it a nine. Okay. On the other hand, um, my inner Bosley Crowther uh, does have to, <laughs> that has had to be more analytical and more harder yeah. on the film this time around to find the, right, right. probably would have given it more a seven. So I'm sort of going to split the difference between my inner child and my inner Bosley, and I'm going to give it an eight. Ah, okay. Uh, I have always gone back and forth between a seven and an eight. Mm-hmm. This time around, I don't know why, it just felt like a seven. Mm-hmm. Well, it's probably uh, because, again, you're kind of trying to view it from yeah, both sides and yeah. see kind of like having to admit I'm kind what of, doesn't I'm, work I'm about poke, it. I'm poking around. It's, mm-hmm. I'm not just watching it to just let it wash over me. Right. I am right. looking at it and trying to pull it apart and, and mm-hmm. pay attention to the things that work and why they work and why the, why the things that don't always work don't mm-hmm. always work. Yeah. So that's probably true as well. I know that in the past, I've always considered this to be closer to an eight mm-hmm. and it just like i say it goes back yeah, and forth a sure. little bit and then from here on the other monster mashes have a tendency to fall down into the six category at mm-hmm. the most mm-hmm. and to uh you know to, to be the kind of thing that i'm fully aware that unless you're a monster mash fanatic you're yeah. just not going to have that much fun with but i do still feel i feel i feel that this movie is something that you could drop a complete newbie into the middle of it. Just say, here, just watch this. Yeah, I think and so. And I think that if they're the, the right kind of film mm. watcher, mm. someone who actually has an interest in this kind of stuff and doesn't turn their nose up at a black and white monster movie from the yeah. 1940s, this is going to engender the, in them the desire to see more. It's like, wait so. a minute, what came before this? Yeah. What, came, at, what mm-hmm. came after this? And I, I think it still has that kind of juice in it, the kind mm. of thing that will actually make people want to see more beyond this particular movie. Yeah. Whereas, I think if you started off somebody with, you know, House of Dracula, they just might be go, like, this is a mess. Yeah, well, what, this is, is, yeah. what, what in the hell yeah. is going yeah. on here? Yeah. Whereas this kind of sets the table for you to be able to enjoy those later films. Mm-hmm. And I think kind of enhances the joy that you would get out of, even if you backed up to The Wolfman and Ghost of Frankenstein and therefore on I think, I, I think it's uh, I think it's a joy. And strangely enough, I would say this, this movie, this is a movie and I don't think of it in terms like this very often, but this would be a good entry point for someone to these movies. A good qu- I'd never thought about that before, but you're probably right. It would, I think it would yeah. serve as that. Yeah, it's because it because it is that monster. Yeah. because it has so much going on and it's yeah. so fast. And there's, yeah. it's got atmosphere. And it's like I say, your first time through, the things that we we've pulled apart and talked about are the kind are not the kind of things that are going to exactly. Occur I was going to say so. that too. Is that the flaws, some of the flaws we see would would not yeah, yeah be yeah. as important or as noticeable to them? I think yeah. Well, folks, what do you think of Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman? Let us know. It's a favorite of ours and one that we've been longing to cover. and We're very happy to have covered it. If you have thoughts on it, remember you can write to us at thebloodypit at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, And uh, right now we're going to take a quick break. We've got uh, a letter from an eager eager listener. And uh, we'll read that out. And then we will let you know what we'll be up to again soon. Aren't TV movies fun? You see all these familiar faces, but doing really unfamiliar things. And I think that that's really exciting. And I think that's something important to the history of film in general. Join Amanda. There's a lot going on in that scene that is unspoken between two men. So I'm just telling you, I think there was a little Brokeback Mountain. (laughs) 
dead. I think Therese is a little bipolar. Her voice, it goes from this sort of sexy, sensuous voice to, Okay, Ramsey, get out of here. And date. I love, you know, in like the late 70s, early 80s, the crazier a person got, the bigger their hair got. (laughs) As they discuss their favorite made-for-TV movies. Mr. Hazelrick. On the made-for-TV mayhem show. This man came to see him. He never comes to see him at work. What kind of stories could he have to tell him? (laughs) Tales of his postal delivery. All right, before we get to the email we've got here, uh, I earlier uh, in the week posted up uh, the question of just uh, what other people on Facebook may have thought about Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. And there were a number of uh, comments. A lot of people uh, brought up some of the same points that Troy and I have here in the body of the show. But one of the more interesting ideas that got thrown out there was by Tim Lucas, who threw out the idea that, uh, in his opinion, giving the monster Igor's brain was the worst idea universally, and specifically Kurt Siotomac, ever had. He was never the same character Karloff played after that. And I agreed with him. I said, but I do disagree to an extent. Yes, this was the end of the creature as played by Karloff, but that isn't necessarily a bad thing. It could have been the beginning of a strange, interesting new version of the creature, but they didn't follow through, and it cripples the character in the film. Forever after, they were trapped with a grunting hulk, which is a damn shame. Now, Jeff Clark uh, jumped in and commented and said, plus it reduces the Frankenstein monster to a little more than a cameo in the next few movies, mm-hmm. which is very true. I yeah. mean, it has yeah. always been kind of a joke that mm-hmm. it's called Abbott Costello meets Frankenstein. <laughs> when, to be yeah. honest, it really should yes, be yeah. entitled Abbott Costello meets Dracula. Absolutely, yeah. Because Dracula and Bela Lugosi playing that character is the real mm-hmm. prime mover and, and mm-hmm. shaker in that particular film as far as the villainous characters are concerned. And uh, Jeff Clark also said, I think past Bride, no one really knew what to do with the monster. And if you think about it, he's kind of right. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, uh, Clark said also, I like him in Sun, where he was still menacing, but also still had traces of his humanity. At least in Ghost, he was central to the story. But after Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, he was almost an afterthought. He spent most of the next three movies just strapped to the table until the very end. Mm -hmm. And that is true. And also, one one might note, as Jeff did, that I always knew the movie was coming to an end when uh, the monster... Hopped up off that table. It's like, ah, we're in the final <laughs> few minutes here. Well, I can tell you one. I can tell you right now, if they'd kept with Karloff, one thing he would have nixed immediately was di- any dialogue. I mean, Karloff yeah, hated he did not the like idea, the idea. Yeah, you know, monster speaking. Yeah, that's true, and that's and that's why when somebody says, "Well, if they could have just gotten Karloff back one more time," it's like, first, it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, he was having a lot of success with arsenic and old lace and other stuff. Plus, I yeah. mean, if you think Lugosi had physical problems with doing the monster, Karloff yeah. was already suffering from physical problems from doing the monster those previous times. This is true. This is true. I mean, he was already bow-legged before he yeah. started doing the damn right. character. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, okay. We've got one email here. This is from uh, from Edward. He says, uh, Dear Rod and Troy, just a few lines to say how much I enjoy the Nashy cast and the Bloody Pit podcast. Although I had a vague idea of who he was, the Nashy cast has been my gateway drug into the world of this amazing artist. Over the past year, I've been able to see a few of his films, the documentary The Man Who Saw Frankenstein Cry, and read the, two, and read the issue of videos uh, on archive.org that, you've mentioned, that you mentioned on your podcast. It's nice to know that before he passed away, he was finally recognized for his contribution to horror and fantasy cinema. I know this is a very subjective question, but regarding what's available on Blu-ray slash DVD, what would you include in a Paul Nashy starter kit? Movies or books that would serve as a good introduction to his work. 
it's easy with books. Yeah. There's really only yeah. there's really only uh, two books that give you a substantial amount of real information about his life and his career, and that would be his autobiography, mm-hmm. Memoirs of a Wolf Man, and uh, the book that Troy Howarth published a few years ago called mm-hmm. Human Beasts. Yeah. Those are the books that right now are the best that are sitting on the shelves that actually have a lot of uh, information about his work and life, and it's mm-hmm. uh, they're both they're both very worthy. I would start with the autobiography, yeah, because uh, he he he's. It's quite a good book. It really is. It's really is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So, as far as the movies, who we we, we give you a top ten. Yeah, yeah. uh, In no particular order. Mm -hmm. I mean, might as well start with Werewolf Shadow. You know, since that's the one that that's that kind of a key. Werewolf Shadow, I think. Heart rises from the tomb. Mm -hmm. Hunchback of the morgue. Werewolf of the Yeti. Um, I would say Inquisition. El Caminante, or The Devil Incarnate, as it's mm. been released here. Mm. Uh, the Frenchman's Garden, uh, How the Devil, The Mummy's, uh, the Mummy's Revenge, and uh, just be- just because uh, it is also a monster mash, and we've been talking about him, I'd go with Assignment Terror. Sure, why not? Yeah, yeah. And if you could ever get a good release of uh, the fir- his first film, known as uh, The Mark of the Wolfman, mm-hmm. uh, a.k.a. Frankenstein's Bloody Terror, I'd throw that into that uh, top ten list as well. Yeah, did oh, you Blue Eyes? The, I would add Blue Eyes, oh, yeah. the Broken Doll, to see his Jalo yeah. film, or yeah, or yeah. is it is it a monster Jalos? Did you did we did you say Night of the Werewolf? No, because, because you mean Werewolf Shadow. I mean Werewolf yeah, Shadow, Night of the Werewolf. Yeah. yeah, down the line it would be good since because of it, it's his own remake of Werewolf Shadow. Not that's a, true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So yeah, that's 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 a good list you rattled off there. I think that covered the the any, any any and all of those. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is that's where I would jump. And you know, if you really keep going further, uh, definitely see. Uh, you said How the Devil, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, now, that you, it, now that it's on Blu-ray, you, but Panic Beats would be another. Oh, Panic one Beats is a good choice too. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So Human Beasts, the film Human Beasts is is a really harsh crime film. That's yeah. a good one too. Beast in the Magic Sword. Oh yeah! Wow, that's we're way over ten now. Just about to say yeah. <laughs> All of them. Is all the of them. Try, try that. All of them. Try that. Isn't that annoying when they say that? All of them. Just think if he'd asked us for a Franco list, a Jess Franco list. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a weird list. Yeah, Because really I would have to subdivide it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, back to his email. He says, also, thanks to Troy for reintroducing me to the world of kaiju. My earliest memory of a big screen experience was watching King Kong versus Godzilla in the late 1960s. Growing up in the UK in the 1970s, I don't remember Japanese monster movies being a staple of British TV, except for odd late-night screenings. It's been fun seeking out these movies and learning more about them through your podcast. Awesome. Well, man, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to... Very glad I've created another <laughs> kaiju fan out there. I do love these things. And I always have kind of been curious as to, to British kids growing up how much kaiju that they... You know, how much they saw. And that kind of answer, yeah. confirms my suspicions that it didn't really play a whole lot on British television. That doesn't really surprise me. It, it, yeah, it, it is one of those odd things from the from the few people that I've talked to about that that does seem to be one of the reasons why the the fandom there is 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 more 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 a recessive geeky gene yeah than a dominant <laughs> recessive a, a dominant geeky yeah. gene yeah 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 he says uh, thanks for the great work and opening my eyes to all these fantastic movies kind regards Eddie thank you Eddie yeah. appreciate that very much we're, we're, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah that's a great kind of feedback there that's, that's that's the thing of all the great compliments we get you know that's the thing that we love to I hear the most is that is that we've gotten somebody started into you know uh, it's great to have the people who are into it and don't think there's you know find, trying to find some other like-minded people and come to our podcast through that but the people who just are come to it out of curiosity and it sparks they're interested well, well that and like you know they don't they remember something from their childhood but haven't yeah. thought of it as an adult yeah. right 
like him, yeah. and where where we're sitting there, you know, talking about something as adults, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait a minute, I haven't thought about this. That's that that that's great. That's yeah, cool. That's that's the kind of thing where you're you're able as an adult to go back and still enjoy something from uh, you know that you only like tangentially ran into when you were a mm-hmm. child and it's like mm-hmm. well now the now the doors are open you can see what you want to see yeah so yeah yeah a lot of fun and you can uh, write to us as well if you have any comments about what we've talked about on this podcast or any others because there are a few out there that we've been part of yeah. for a very long time and uh, the email address is the bloody pit at gmail.com write us let us know what you think you can even uh, record your thoughts send them to us as an mp3 and we'll play them as part of the show uh Thank you once again for uh, for listening to us, and we'd just like to say that uh, the next time Troy and I record, we're going to be talking about. Um, I would say maybe it's not. Is it right to call a film obscure if it's been released on Blu-ray twice? I mean, I <laughs> I, that's a good question. I don't. I don't know. Or, well, actually, I think it's only been released on Blu-ray once, but I know I first picked it up on DVD. We're gonna over. We're gonna do a Beyond Nashy episode over on the Nashy Cast, and we're going to uh, talk about another Just Franco film. We're going to talk about She Killed in Ecstasy. Mm-hmm. This is Troy's pick. Uh, one that he's. Uh, have you Have you watched the movie yet? Oh yeah, yeah. I've seen it a okay. couple of times. It's been a while though, you know, but I've, I have watched it a couple of times. I am. am I, I'm a fan of that film. Mm-hmm. I do. I, uh, I have not cracked open my Blu-ray of it. My mm-hmm. last viewing of it was off the uh, old Synapse. DVD, so this will be exciting to return to that one because uh, that was one of the movies that uh, was one, it was one of the early films of that period, that '70s period of Franco movies that actually opened my eyes a little bit to what then became kind of a flowering of interest in his movies of that period. So that's that's a good thing. I'll enjoy going back to She Killed an Ecstasy. I haven't watched it in uh, wow, ten plus years. Yeah. So. That'll be cool. So uh, join us over on the Nashy Cast for that episode over there. We'll uh, get around to that in November sometime this month. Yeah, 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 somewhere around there. Just keep your ears peeled. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. Keep an eye on the Nashy Cast <laughs> feed, and we will get to it. But once again, thank you for listening. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we will talk to you again next time. Un instant, un mort vivant Rassemble et coudre ensemble les morceaux Le nez, les yeux, les lèvres et la peau Les connexions nerveuses fixées au cou Par des écrous Fallait un cerveau aussi grand qu'Einstein Pour engreffer un autre affront qu'Einstein Faire de plusieurs cadavres en un instant Un mort vivant mais il fallait aussi un assistant Qui ayant brisé le cœur par accident Lui substitua celui d'un assassin, assassin Fallait un cerveau aussi grand qu'Einstein Pour engreffer un autre affront qu'Einstein Faire de plusieurs cadavres en un instant Un mort vivant Après quelques décharges électriques Il se mit à rouler des mets Canique, puis renversant bec basen et cornu, il disparut. Fallait un cerveau aussi grand qu'Einstein pour engreffer un autre affront qu'Einstein, faire de plusieurs cas.
Et lorsque la fiancée arriva, il étrangla. 